This is Unfilter, episode 200 for August 17th, 2016. Russia says its long-range bombers like these carried out airstrikes in Syria against ISIS after taking off for the first time from a base in northwest Iran. Russian aircraft, according to the U.S., struck in Aleppo, Idlib, and Deir Azor. The Russians notified the U.S. they were flying into Syria. Moscow insisted it is going after ISIS. The U.S. disagrees. It's, it's been 200 weeks of doing this show, starting from filterfree.me. Who remembers that website? <laughs> Welcome to Unfilter, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase. That guy over there is Chris, founder and owner of Jupiter Broadcasting, who decided... I showed him a lot of money, and I said, hey, you know, Chris, we should do a show in this style, right? And, and I said, Chase, you have to first write me a $10,000 check. Right. And I showed him the money. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, Chase, wow. 200 freaking episodes is a pretty historical landmark, specifically just for this show. Full disclosure, when we started this show, I thought we would end in the year 2012. You De- really thought so? December 21st, 2012 or something like that, I thought would be our last episode. Uh, but just the first as, day of winter? Just to be fun <laughs> and just, yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember in 2012 the world was going to end? Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I thought it'd be yeah. really great to just end the show when the world was supposed to end. Just Whoa. as sort of a nod. So, to so, so when is election day? That because really, <laughs> well said, sir. Well said. Really, it's going to blow up. But you know, then. the reason why 200 feels big to me, Chase, is yeah. the production girth of this show. I never would have thought would have been sustainable for 200 episodes. Oh, no. And you know what's amazing? And I'm just going to pat myself on the back, producer Matt on the back, and yourself, because we have come together as a team this week to present you a show that is actually full of the news that matters. There's a lot of things about the Rio Olympics right now, a lot of white noise about Trump, a lot of white noise about the elections in general, but there are real-world issues going on. Partnerships between Russia and Turkey, partnerships between Russia and Iran, partnerships between Russia and China. There are huge, huge stories around George Soros that the mainstream media is not talking about. The NSA has apparently been hacked. And that, my friend, is the tip of the iceberg this week. Tip of the iceberg. Huge, huge show. Plus, all of you guys heeded my call. A lot of you have uh, plenty of things to say about Unfilter 200 and Unfilter in general. So we have a huge sack this week. And I also, uh, during our Patreon segment, I got something a little embarrassing for you and I. I think we'll have a little humble pie during our Patreon wait, segment, too. Wait, what? Yeah, something for... After uh, 200... One of the things about episode 200 we want to do to celebrate 200 was not do something for ourselves, but do something for the audience, and yeah. this is part of it, making fun of ourselves. We're going to break down... We're going to do an immediate analysis of ourselves during the <laughs> Patreon segment. Uh, it. It's, it's going to be a little rough. It. Uh, yeah, so the, the unfiltered show here this week is to cover all of the things you care about and, and break through the white noise... To start, we have to honor our technology heritage. We got a cyber. As we, always. We cyber. We always ASL on every episode. There is a movie coming out that kind of has my attention. I hope playing the trailer doesn't Are get Are you us- talking about Sausage Party? <laughs> <laughs> no, Lemon Party. But No, it's, uh, it's Zero Days. Oh. And it's going direct to DVD. Why can't we talk more openly and publicly about Stuxnet? Two answers before you even get started. Stuxnet. Now, here we go. Your buddy, your good friend. Oh, uh, my good friend, Michael, Michael Hayden. Hayden. Yeah. I don't know. And if I did, 
We wouldn't talk about it anyway. In 2010, a new cyber weapon is found. Something as simple and innocuous as this becomes a challenge for all of us to maintain accountability control of our critical infrastructure system. Random shot of this a actually train. contains the Stuxnet virus. Stuxnet. It's 20 times more it's complex. Industrial control. Is this something that's coming after the homeland? If you get up in the morning and turn off your alarm and make coffee, power plants, power grids, and pump gas, transportation, telecommunication, and use the ATM, you've touched industrial control systems. It's what powers our lives. Most of these systems are relatively easy for a sophisticated hacker to get into. So the chat room says they've watched it on Torrented and says it's pretty good. I'm actually kind of curious to watch it too, but boy, yeah, right? <laughs> Your world's going to fall and crumble around you, Chase. Where's my Tandy? Don't worry. Tim Cook will save you from it all. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm attending to watch that one, too, but I thought that was... That crossed wow. my radar this week, and I thought that'd be kind of fun to start the show with. Uh-huh. Now, um, are you are you kind of uh, up to speed at all about this whole uh, ICANN domain? Who has control of the internet at a top level? There's a, there's well, it a, used to be us, and then we passed it off, right? We, we are in the process, sir. Oh, we're in still in the process. The process. Okay. For the last 18 years, the U.S. government has controlled what's called the domain name system worldwide through a nonprofit group called the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, or ICANN for short. This group manages domain names like .com, .gov, .pizza, or Star Trek.sexy, .ninja. And yes, that is a real thing. By the end of next month, though, the Obama administration is planning to end its contract with ICANN, giving up control of the domain naming responsibility to a global board of directors. <laughs> Critics argue this move will allow governments like Russia, China, and Iran to have greater control over a key part of the Internet oh, and, and potentially the ability to stifle free speech. Now a coalition hey, of technology. Do you see that they're running Windows Seven on yeah. that MacBook? <laughs> I was just, I was just like, "Hey, Chris." Yeah, man, I see that. It's weird. It doesn't seem right. Technology groups and conservatives are pushing Congress to sue the Obama administration. In a letter to congressional leaders this week, 26 tech organizations wrote in part, "Without robust safeguards, internet governance could fall under the sway of governments hostile to freedoms protected by the First Amendment." Not the United States of America. And the NSA, where we protect free speech, and you're not. Yeah, always. You are, we always are protecting you online always. with our with our weapons and our eagles. Wait, that's not the right soundbite. There it is. <laughs> Twice now, Congress Eagle has passed bacon. appropriation bills that prohibit any tax dollars from being used for the transition. And both times, the president signed those bills into law. But now the administration says it's not bound by those bills and plans to move ahead. In a letter to lawmakers this week, Assistant Commerce Secretary Larry Strickling wrote in part, free expression exists and flourishes online not because of perceived U.S. government oversight over the domain name system or because of any asserted special relationship that the United States has with ICON. It exists and is protected when stakeholders work together to make decisions. I actually was joking about the Snowden stuff, uh, but I actually think that might have been what sort of persisted. Precipitated? How do you say that, Chase? Mr. Mr. Potated? Uh, Precipitated? Precipitated. Right. I think that's actually what sort of kicked off really this entire conversation is sort of the exposure by the the exposure of the NSA, not in exactly what we're doing, but in that the U.S. is not necessarily being a good steward. Right. And then when this and this conversation had already begun when those leaks came out in 2013 and it just accelerated after this. Speaking of the NSA, did you hear the story about hackers who supposedly breached the NSA and then wanted more than one million bitcoins 
in an auction to release the NSA tools and information that they had taken. Have you Whoa, heard of it? Oh, no. Yeah, because nobody's covering this. Oh, really? Well, we have a little bit of coverage, but pretty much nobody's covering this. Uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to uh, – I don't know what's happening here for some reason, but Google uh, Chrome – keeps popping up Hangouts. So if during this episode you see a Hangout message, it's an old message from last. I'm not sure why it keeps coming up on my screen. But anyways, this is, an, this is a fascinating, fascinating story, and I want to start right here for you. There is strong speculation tonight. The National Security Agency, equipped with its government spying and surveillance tools, has been hacked. Recently, a, a hacking collect, uh, collective published samples of the documents online and put a number of documents up for auction for about a half a billion dollars in Bitcoin. Simone Del Rosario has that story tonight. These samples published online by the hacking group, The Shadow Brokers, it's enough for cybersecurity experts to say the hack into a national security agency affiliate is authentic. Take Tom Parker, chief technology officer of Fusion X. It's the real deal. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, you know, it, it would have uh, taken far too much, far, far too much time and money to uh, to fabricate something like that. I know this sounds crazy. All right. I know it sounds ridiculous that the okay. NSA could be hacked, right? Do you are you not buying this so far? I, be honest with me, a bro. little bit. I'm not. I mean, first off, I, I need some more sources other than RT. Okay. Okay. Sure. Sure. That's there fair. is strong. I will. Uh, let's see. I have this RT clipper. I see. I think now the problem is <laughs> there's not getting a lot of coverage outside of RT. But here's something for you. A group okay. calling themselves the Shadow Brokers claim that they've hacked the NSA, according to ForeignPolicy.com. They say they stole malware and they're auctioning off the files. Security researchers say the claims appear to be legitimate. A former NSA scientist says it could be hugely damaging, blowing some operations up. They are auctioning off what they call the best files for at least $550 million. The agency didn't respond to questions about the alleged breach. So I'll tell you uh, why this is kind of a familiar story to me. Is I, right. I, I personally am invested somewhat into bitcoin oh uh, yeah and i follow the bitcoin news pretty closely and so the um whenever something happens in the bitcoin community that that involves a large amount of bitcoins it quickly becomes news because anytime a large amount of bitcoins is transacted it could affect the price totally so when somebody's asking for a million bitcoins it doesn't go unnoticed it becomes news and so the bitcoin community has been talking about this for about a week um and it appears to be that the information that they've released, the data that they have, and the actual EXEs, like, like the, actual, the actual executables from the NSA they have, are all from 2013. Wow. And, I, and I think this is a really, really, really key point to the story, is the fact that all the stuff is from 2013. I want to go back to that RT clip we were okay. watching here. All right, fair enough. In broken English, the shadow brokers claim to have hacked the Equation Group and uncovered cyber weapons used by the United States. They claim to be auctioning off the information to the highest bidder. But NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden says the hack may have less to do with money and more to do with politics. All right. Now, I'm about to tell you that I am, I'm just going to take what Edward Snowden has been tweeting, and I, I've internalized it, and I've been thinking about it, and okay. I completely agree. Oh. W one of the things that you and I have been covering for the last few weeks is this whole DNC hack and the the broad stroke painting the Clinton campaign specifically has been doing oh, yeah, to say Russia. it's a Russia hack. Yeah. And the source of that information is the Clinton campaign. The NSA, CIA, even even when you even when they went and asked Clapper himself, they wouldn't say it was the Russians. None of them would. No. They no. said they would always deflect it back to Clinton, say go talk to the Clinton campaign. Yeah. So uh there has been, though, a ratcheting up 
of Russia attribution in the media across all media outlets. Agreed? Yes, absolutely. We've been saying it. Totally. Snowden says that this is all connected. In a tweet storm, he said the hack of an NSA malware staging server is not unprecedented, but publicizing the hack is. He explained that the NSA is often lurking on other state servers and that our rivals can do the same to us. Think about this. The NSA compromises another state server. What would that state do? If they've discovered it, they would analyze the payload. They would look at the. They would look at how the NSA got into the network. Oh yeah. They would go over the logs, but they wouldn't necessarily publicize it. No. The goal no. is usually to stay undetected. So why did they publish it? Snowden says no one knows, but I suspect this is more diplomacy than intelligence related to the escalation around the DNC hack. Circumstantial evidence and conventional wisdom indicates Russian responsibility. The leak is likely a warning that someone can prove U.S. responsibility for any attacks that originated from this malware server. So what I suspect has happened is it is very likely this is Russia. Russia has released something that they have been holding on to since the Snowden leaks and saying, look, we have this information. If you guys want to start playing the attribution game about who's hacking. Ah, I see where you're going on. Because the reality yeah. is the NSA yep. has been very aggressive. The Snowden leak showed us, and, I, and this is my go-to one because it's so egregious. The Snowden leak showed us at one point the NSA owned an entire Chinese cellular carrier and deployed malware on all of the users' cell phones. <laughs> like... This is a major breach. Yeah. So I, I, I could kind of believe, like, you want to keep saying it's Russia? Okay, guys, here's what we got on you. Snowden goes on to say the information could have significant foreign policy consequences, especially if the U.S. operations targeted U.S. allies, as the NSA has been known to do in the past. Or even better, elections, meaning the fingers the U.S. officials have been pointing at Russia for the DNC hack could turn around and point back at them for doing the same thing. I think the inference is that, um, well, maybe the United States is going after other political campaigns outside of the United States, maybe against um, allied nations, Five Eyes nations. Uh, but the reality is we, we're just speculating at that point. It could also be, um, you know, the United States releasing that information, assuming it is the United States. Uh, could I don't buy that. And here's what's really weird. Did you hear the story that Snowden tweeted some sort of weird key and said the time has come for those of you who've been following me and then disappeared for a while? No, I haven't heard that. So that was a thing that happened. He, re- he tweeted like some sort of uh, cryptographic key or some kind of weird hash and then deleted that tweet. And then a day or two later goes by. He hasn't tweeted. And then this happens. Huh. This drop of the NSA files. And then he tweets, in what RT is classifying as a tweet storm, he tweets all of the stuff about how it could be Russia, actually could be Russia, so that way they could be slapping down the U.S. It's all, it's all connected, in my estimation. It's all connected to the DNC hack. It's connected to the attribution game and Snowden. Be the U.S. releasing that information, uh, you know, to, to kind of show its, uh, its, its, its military power uh, in the domain of cyber. I mean, it's, it wouldn't be the first time... Snowden and cybersecurity experts agree the attribution game is messy. We may Of course RT saying that. Never know who or what is behind the shadow brokers. No. But we might not have to wait for someone to pony up a half a billion dollars for the information behind this hack. WikiLeaks claims to already have it yeah. and promises to publish it in due course. And I'll be in watching. Washington, Simone Del Rosario, RT. Yeah, I'm curious to see what WikiLeaks does, and I'm curious to see how they got that. So I'll be following that particular story, but very odd. So the stuff's from 2013, which makes me think that it might actually be part of maybe somebody that has the original entire Snowden cache. 
Wow. It might not even be a server. Here's Snowden's theory, and I think this actually kind of plays out. Snowden's theory is that when he leaked in 2013, a bunch of uh, states around the world said, well, we should probably check our servers and right. see if we've been hacked. <laughs> right. And some of those states did, and they found the NSA hacking tools. They, they collected and archived everything they found and saved it to sit on it politically. Oh. So Snowden's saying is, no, 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 it's not part of the original cache that I released. But what it is is once I release those documents – a bunch of U. Or I'm sorry, I shouldn't say a bunch of different agencies, right. including U.S. agencies, but a bunch of different agencies around the world. Like, well, shit, we should probably check our servers. And some of them did, and some of them found this stuff, the and stuff, they have right. been sitting on it until now for some reason. That's his position. Wow. But it uh, for those that have checked the actual files, it yeah. does appear yeah. to be 100 percent legitimate. I mean, I hate to use the analogy, you know, po- poking a sleeping bear, but but why do you think the U.S. would be poking the sleeping bear if if they knew that there's a possibility that this information's out there, right? Yeah, that's why that I think make any it's sense. that's why politically anyway. Th- I completely agree with you, and I think that's why the uh, the theory that maybe it's Russia saying slow down, you guys are getting a little ridiculous. We have real dirt on you if you want to go this direction. Kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. I'm going to keep watching and see what we see. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a good thing, a uh, good fun thing to watch. So we've been following on and off the story about ISIS intelligence reports getting altered as they reach the upper echelons of the U.S. government, and it went silent for a while. It just went dead. I, there right, was nothing yeah, really to nothing. get. That vein, as they say, uh, <laughs> disappeared. However, we found a nice new uh, thick vein to tap, and we've got new information about supposedly Sancom altering ISIS intelligence. It turns out. Your Unfiltered show was the go-to intelligence source all along. For more than a year now, Americans have been told that the war against ISIS in Syria and Iraq has been going well. Have we ever said that on this show? No. We have not. We have never said that on this show. No, we have never said that. As were the U.S. efforts to train Iraqi soldiers. Have we ever said that on this show? No, I no. don't know. In fact, yeah. we even called out the times when they were reporting extreme failures in doing so. It's something. This is interesting. If this Loss is re- of weapons, if this is really what the American people pickups. have been told, then they should probably have been listening to Unfiltered. Right. But today, a congressional task force said that intelligence was altered. What? What? <laughs> what? To Are make you it kidding? appear that things were going better than they were. Um. Uh. So you yeah. mean you mean your unfiltered show wasn't making shit up? No. And it blamed U.S. Central Command, which runs the wars in the Middle East. Unfilter needs your support. Patreon.com slash unfilter. This is why we need to be powered by our audience and not outside influences. Literally. And I stand by this. Go to our archive. Since episode six in mid-2012, we have been calling this accurately. For that long, I went back today for our 200th wow, episode really? and I looked you at our track record. And since episode six, we have been nailing this story since 2012. Wow. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Jim Axelrod has been looking into this. The task force was formed to investigate a whistleblower complaint filed by a senior analyst at CENTCOM that intelligence was being manipulated by command leadership. Republican Congressman Mike Pompeo is a member of the task force. This information from talented career professionals inside the analytic arm at CENTCOM did their job and accurately depicted what was going on the ground. But when it got to very senior levels, that information was changed. According to the report, starting around mid-2014, final intelligence reports and public statements issued by CENTCOM painted a rosier picture of the Iraqi army's strength 
than the initial assessments of its own analysts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are making progress. Such as when CENTCOM's then-commander, General Lloyd Austin, testified in March of 2015 that ISIS had been weakened in Iraq. The fact is that he can no longer do what he did at the outset, which is to seize and to hold new territory. He has assumed a defensive crouch in Iraq. Around the same time, a CENTCOM official stated the Iraqi army could soon be ready to launch a major offensive to retake the city of Mosul. A year and a half later, that still hasn't happened. When we send young men and women out to fight for our country, they need to have straight-up intelligence providing them information about what they're up against. This task force was made up entirely of Republicans, but late today, Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee released their findings, and they largely reached the same conclusions. As for CENTCOM, Scott, this statement, they are reviewing the report, but since the investigation is ongoing, there will be no comment. There is a need for a rescue. Yeah! When the world is threatened, the world needs help, it calls on America. And that's the story. I want to go just a quick, uh, since this is episode 200, just a quick look back at the two years of military action against ISIS. A U.S. defense official confirms to Fox News that an American drone strike has killed the leader of ISIS in Afghanistan. What? Now, Chase, when we started this show 200 weeks ago, do you remember how secretive the drone program was? Oh, yeah. It, you know, that was a big thing. Yeah, we didn't know, and then all of a sudden we found out. And, we're and like, wow. only, the only reporting of, of any kind of drone strike we had was totally independent sources uh, that were there actually in the areas right. doing reporting and counting yeah. bodies. It was There was no discussion. The entire program Very was classified. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is almost the perfect clip for our 200th episode. It's a little longer than I would like, but there are actual numbers in this that have never been shared about the drone program before. And Pakistan. It happened in late July. This week marks the two-year anniversary of U.S. military action against ISIS. Tonight, Pentagon producer Lucas Tomlinson shows us where we are, where we have been, and where we're going. Isn't it something that here we are at episode 200, and it's the, it's the two-year anniversary. We've been following since ISIS, IS, Dash, Daesh, ISIL, the Islamic State, IS, since it has been something that has been in, yeah. the, in the Western parlance, yeah. we have covered it on the show for the entire run well, of the well, show. Well, we've seen it grown up and yeah. blossom yeah. and, and remember, filter. Do you remember when Obama called it the... Uh, it, the it was a JV team. That's what it was. That's right. You so know, now, all these different affiliates, like TV stations all over. Now, two years later, not only has the drone program been much more opened up, but we're about to get interesting data. The offensive against ISIS started with two Navy F-18s launching from the Persian Gulf, destroying an ISIS artillery unit threatening Erbil in northern Iraq and the U.S. consulate there. Two months earlier, ISIS captured Iraq's second largest city, Mosul, after taking Fallujah in January. President Obama said limited airstrikes and several hundred advisors could stop the ISIS advance on Erbil and protect Iraqi minorities, including Yazidis and Christians. When we have the unique capabilities to help avert a massacre, then I believe the United States of America cannot turn a blind eye. A month later, U.S. airstrikes expanded to Syria. At the time, ISIS controlled an area the size of Great Britain, stretching from central Syria to the outskirts of Baghdad. A House GOP task force this week accused the U.S. military Central Command of producing overly optimistic intelligence reports about ISIS than the facts suggested, raising questions about the administration's narrative of success at the time. 
The U.S.-led coalition has conducted over 14,000 airstrikes against ISIS. Wow. 14,000. That's, I think, the first time we've ever heard that. 14,382. crap. Also, we're about to get the percentage of how many of those were U.S.-backed. U.S. military has flown 77% of those missions. 77%, Chase. Wow. American combat troops will not be returning to fight in Iraq. Right now, there are nearly 4,000 U.S. troops in Iraq. 4,000 troops in Iraq. And 300 in Syria. 300 in Syria, of course, is officially sent by the Pentagon. Doesn't include, does not include any of the CIA personnel, does not include any contractors, a.k.a. mercenaries that we have hired. It is simply a Pentagon number. The reason for that is Pentagon actions often have to be declared publicly. CIA personnel, staffing, and actions are top secret. 400 more will deploy soon. But some U.S. officials estimate there are nearly 6,000 on the ground when temporary assignments are factored in. Three American servicemen have been killed fighting ISIS, 16 others wounded. After two years, Iraqi forces backed by coalition airstrikes have retaken nearly half of ISIS-held territory in Iraq, hmm. including the cities of Ramadi and Fallujah, and 20% of its territory in Syria. But ISIS still occupies Raqqa and Mosul, calling them its capitals. The outgoing U.S. commander in Iraq this week said 45,000 ISIS fighters have been killed in the past two years. Another number for us, 45,000 ISIS fighters killed. Wow. Labeling ISIS a diminished force, desperately pulling civilians off the streets to man checkpoints. We don't see them uh, operating nearly as effectively as they have in the past, oh. which makes them even easier targets for us. Good. Uh, so uh, as a result... Their attrition has accelerated attrition. here of late. Despite being squeezed, ISIS has spread to 18 countries, according to recent intelligence reports. Africa. In the past eight months, ISIS has claimed credit for killing nearly 500 people outside Iraq and Syria. Earlier this month, President Obama authorized airstrikes against ISIS in a fourth country, Libya. U.S. Special Operations Forces are active on the ground there. So far, there's been 41 airstrikes. Doug? 41 airstrikes in Libya alone. Jeez. And what's amazing is we've literally been covering the Libya situation since the day yep, of that attack where we beginning. said it's not a YouTube video. Oh, yeah. No, it did not pass the sniff test that day. <sighs> you know, Chase. Yes, Chris. Uh, you know, I want to get into Russia and then I want to get into a, cu- a couple of turkey things. But should we should we just take a moment and do the Patreon? You yeah, do- we have we have a we have a, a big segment. So let's yeah, do it. Let's do it. So Patreon.com slash unfilter. This show is an audience supported show. Uh, and I, you know, I, right now I just I feel so grateful to our audience, uh, to producer Matt and to yourself for uh, 200 episodes of really an incredible journey of documenting the people's history of what the f is going on right now. And 2016, I could never have guessed it would have been this nuts. Oh no, no, we we thought there had been another boring, drawn out political season yeah. of just yeah. Bleh. Yeah, we had uh, we had mapped out things like the fiscal cliff, and like there was a while where we were like mapping out things that will arc off into the, like the next right. year, and yeah. all of it, all of it, like we we underestimated how crazy it would be, just uh, just to uh, to an uh, unbelievable degree, and. Yeah. What I am super proud of is your Unfilter show has managed to not only stay on top of everything that's going on, but has persevered through some of the craziest white noise I have ever witnessed to bring you the elements of the week that actually matter. Yep. And a huge part of that is our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter because right now we've got 454 people who said, 
I'm not happy with the status quo. No. I cannot stand the media anymore. I want to actively participate in documenting what's actually happening from a completely unbiased perspective. And I can genuinely say I believe for 200 weeks that's what we've done. I'm not saying we've always gotten it right. But when we've gotten it wrong, we try to make it right because we have no other objective. And that feels so, so damn good. So, Chase. Yes, Chris. I'm going to open up that sack. It's so full. (laughs) It's time to (laughs) unleash the sack, if you will. We have a lot of great comments this week. We opened it up to everybody, five or more. And uh, since it is a special day. You got so, a bunch, huh, buddy? We got a bunch. So the first one comes in from Remy. It says, hey, Unfilter is still amazing and Remy? cool. Remy? How, how do you spell that one? R-E-M-Y. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unfilter is still amazing and cool. Keep it up. We love you guys. No specific feedback point. Just general love for Unfilter and Jupiter Broadcasting. Thank you, sir. Yes. Next one comes in from Ben. It says, hi, Chase. Long time listener. First time questioner. Thank you. I have found your background in understanding the motivations of media companies to be particularly valuable during this election season. And I think the media's reaction to the rise of Trump has been quite telling. From my limited understanding of UK politics, I've seen some parallels between the media's reaction to Brexit and Trump. Oh, supporters are painted as uh, painted as dumb, racist, and aggressive with sprinkles of other negative traits. What is that intelligent individual's name? Because that is great insight right there. What is that person's name? Uh, ben Lloyd Pearson. Ben? Damn, son. Yes. Good job. But he continues. He says, this fails to address the fact that many of the people have legitimate concerns that are not being addressed by the political establishment. And even if Trump fails to become president, these people will still be around for the next few political cycles. It seems to me that the media establishment is becoming more desperate to control the national narrative in order to push their own political agenda. But it also seems that this effort is failing more often as media consumption's patterns change. Can I interrupt right there? Yeah. What I find fascinating, and uh, Ben, please stay tuned until our the Trump segment we've got. I've got the clip you have been waiting for. But I will just say this. Uh, Isn't it fascinating to see how no matter what the media says, no matter how much they nail Trump, no matter how much they try to say he is a danger, Trump's core supporters are not being influenced by the media. And what I think – I think the big story is there. Citizens United is not having the impact we all thought and the media is not persuading these people like we all thought it could. Now, I believe the media right now is having more success and and the polls reflect that than they ever have. But still, for the for the sheer amount they attack Trump. Yeah. His supporters are, are, are somehow being informed without without following the news. And that, to me, is a huge success story. Huge. Uh, he he also goes on to the, the complete the the statement says it would be great to hear more insight from you about how the media has been reacting to these political developments and any changes you might have noticed over the last year oh, man. or so to their practice so many oh yeah. my god so many so uh, one of the things I want to demonstrate to you guys today hopefully without overdoing it is there's a new technique I'm noticing and I and I oh, hold on hold on let's just be clear let me be clear I I am not. A Donald J. Trump supporter. And I am also not a Hillary Rodham supporter. I do not like either one of these individuals. And this show is not about promoting either one of these. This is simply about breaking down and analyzing how the media handles this. And I will tell you this, and I, I hope this bears out without us having to say anything in the clips we're about to play. The media is constantly framing things in Trump. 
Every situation is Trump. They frame it in how Trump responds, what Trump thinks about it, what Trump says. This is a fascinating pivot to watch the media because they're able to do it in a way that casts Trump as a lunatic by still talking about him. So anyways, uh, I think it'll bear out as we continue on. No, I agree. I I was going to say that, you know, I think that's the key word, pivot. We're seeing it from the Trump campaign. We're seeing it from the Clinton campaign. It's all about how to pivot. And right now we're seeing pivoting happening at a crazy rate. Go, girl. Spin, spin, spin. On all angles. Uh, Next one comes in from Chuck. Says Chuck says, not much happening here in my neck of the woods to report. I would say I've been listening to JB for roughly 10 months or so. Unfilter actually was the final push for me to cut the cable cord. Wow. I couldn't take the mainstream media and all the bashing and biases. Now I'm looking for a solution to deliver an easy solution for my wife to get the content on television. Uh, Chris recently discussed the NVIDIA Shield, which provides out-of-the-box Codius support. Yes, uh, yes, sir. But I'm also looking at using an Odroid C2 with Open ELEC. I don't even know what that is. Uh, all in all, <laughs> Open ELEC, it's a uh, really easy, good good to go, out-of-the-box, uh, super nice multimedia, like home theater, oh. Cody experience that runs on the Raspberry Pi. It's uh, really oh, nice. nice. Uh, all in all, I'm being forced to rethink the norm and accept it the way of doing things. P.S. I hope your sack is clean and continues to be worthy of keeping us in the know. You know, um, my uh, my lady friend, my significant other, uh, Hadia, uh, is is sort of perfect in the example of how she would never listen to the news because it would just depress her and yes. it would stress her out uh, and it would make her feel like there's no hope. And well, she she well, says the stories about kittens though would be good. <laughs> yeah, she says though that you know listening to Unfilter, she's able to process what's going on in a way that doesn't feel like we're trying to elicit a, a particular emotional response from her, and it it feels like it's an unpressured analysis of the news. We're just delivering the yeah. info, and yeah. I, it kind of feels like that's echoing his thoughts there too, which is really cool. Yeah, super user writes in says Chase's sack could be misinterpreted. Just just kidding. Uh, my neck of the woods is the United Kingdom. After Brexit and Theresa May uh, being chosen as a new prime minister of her party. Theresa, Theresa, Theresa. Theresa May. Uh, as since she was picked as a new prime minister by her party, the focus of the news has been on the Labour Party. The Labour Party is undergoing a major split, similar to the early 80s, between the Socialist faction and the Blairite faction, mm. which leans more fiscally conservative. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is due to Jeremy Corbyn, the socialist leader of the party, being opposed to much of the party, which at the moment mm-hmm. is a mirror of the conservative party yeah. in many ways. I've been I've been noticing that too. The Parliamentary Labor Party, example, kicked peop, uh, the people actually elected to Parliament voted to kick out Corbyn, but he declined to leave. The Welsh Owen Smith, who is well liked, is now challenging Jeremy Corbyn for leadership of the party. It could well implode if Corbyn doesn't step down or Labor members decide to keep Corbyn. This would destroy the opposition in UK politics for the next few years. What will happen will remain to be seen. I, I, I find UK politics so fascinating because, you know, obviously they're not on the same electoral cycle that we are on. And it's just, I mean, you, you ever, if you ever get bored, yeah. watch like um, a prime minister's yeah. questions on C-SPAN. Yeah. It is amazing. It's way more entertaining it than is, our own. It is great. And also, uh, by the way, uh, if you ever wanted to record that as an audio bite and send that in, you could be a candidate for our reporter on the scene. Oh, that yeah. was a great analysis. Yes, uh, Nicholas. Oh man, this uh, he, he's Norwegian. Nicholas. Nicholas Hevenen Fingol. If I got that wrong, I'm so sorry. My neck of the woods is Norway. 
And this summer, we beat the 30-year-long record for the most rain in one week. Nice, man. Yeah. Also, I'm a, a computer engineering student who loves podcasts. I've been a listener for about a year and love your show. It's very entertaining to hear about American politics, but I have to admit that I'm tired of this election. So are we. God. <laughs> so are we. Not that many political sca- scandals happen here in Norway, but here is two. Uh, the mayor of Bergen is in court over corruption charges and risking jail time. Uh, <laughs> the bribe was an all-expenses-paid cruise. Also, the Norwegian version of the NSA put up cell towers outside the Norwegian Congress building. Thanks for 200 episodes. You know, it's... Wow. I wish I could say that our wow. controversies were that. I wish that was our controversies, right? Oh, my God. President took a cruise. Actually, he goes to, uh, what, uh, Hawaii a lot. But He was playing golf this week, dude. He plays a lot of golf. A lot of he golf. better have a good handicap. Uh, Martin Svensson. Hi, Chase, Chris, and the rest of the crew that Hello. make up JB and Unfilter. I'm also reporting from in the wonderful country of Norway. I've been listening and supporting the show at 3333 since its debut on Patreon. I'm really satisfied with the show. Although, Thank you. Although, during the election, it has been getting a bit heavy. I know. I know it sucks. We've thought about that too, but you know the reality is it's, I, it's very historical. I can't get around that. No, I can't yeah. get around that it's, it's legitimately yeah. yeah, and it's like no other election ever before. Yeah. So we try to before you even get into that stuff, we try to get you all the stuff that's going on in the world that matters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you know, all in all, he I'm satisfied. I do like to mention something though. Sometimes you tend to be a harsh a bit too much on other news stations, their news readers. And their representation of the news. That's be just it, because we're jealous of how much money they make. Yeah, fair enough. Be it their audio, video quality, mumbling, looks, as, and so on and so on. At times, I felt that it draws attention from the point and purpose of the show, which is the news. Apart from that, keep up the good work. Stay on message. Love the show. I agree. Trust in my I, Although support. I would say I do, th- I do consider part of an analyzing the media as part of um, what we do. And just because you and I both have over a decade of yeah. production experience... Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? You know, you know, Chris and I, you know, and producer Matt and the entire JB and really anybody who does independent broadcasting like we do, we we put our own hard-earned money into the stuff. And when you look at news stations and big conglomerates that have millions and millions and millions of dollars, we expect them to, I don't know, be a little perfect. I'm sorry, but... You do know, at least better than we do. Yeah, exactly. And when we can run laps around them, that's pretty bad. And that's <laughs> why so, we make please. fun of it all the time. <laughs> uh, Lars Oyvind Hogland. Oi! Another Norwegian. <laughs> Chris, I think we're going to take a trip to Norway. I know, right? <laughs> Over here, we are baffled by the thing you call democracy and your situation of an election where the candidates are an obviously corrupt lady and a narcissist madman. <laughs> In other news, <laughs> we are waiting to see if a piece of the side of a mountain called Manon, the man, will finally fall or settle down in again. Uh, the two or three households living beneath it have been evacuated. Two a or three. <laughs> I got to move to Norway. That's what I know. I, uh, Jesus. That's, uh, I got to move to Norway. A couple times over the last couple of years. This thing takes Norwegian slow TV to a new level. Oh my gosh. I need to move to Norway I so know. hard. Also, Norway went mad this week after three men were found not guilty of rape after a third round in court what? as three of the four layman judges voted against conviction, resulting in a minor majority, which is not sufficient to convict. The court consists of three uh, three professionals and four layman judges, which all have equal say in the verdict. I'm not trying to make fun of Norway, but could you imagine? It's a weird. It, 
Could you imagine if a rape case was like national news here? Like that's there's probably thousands of those a day in the U.S. I know. And, and a lot of I mean, there's been a whole bunch of local controversies about, you know, rape kits that have never been tested. And it's just, I, oh. I legitimately right now want to move to Norway. I, I, I could podcast from Norway. We, we should just do a show from Norway once and just show up, you know, episode 202 or something. 202. Uh, <laughs> anyways, keep up the good work and the fuss down. I also appreciate a good information time ratio, but also like a sprinkle of humor, which you apply excellently yay thank you uh veratunda uh writes in, oh says, right on hey uh hey chase longtime supporter and general contributor to the world of crazy media misinformation we seem to have nowadays the u.s presidential race is a circus from beginning to end on one hand you have the media clown that is donald trump and on the other you have the media ringmaster which is hillary clinton both are vile in their commitment to integrity justices truth or even a even bit of genuine empathy to be honest, it doesn't matter which candidate makes it. The scandal and revelations about them is not going to stop once they become president. And True. in fact, it might even get worse. Your Unfiltered Show will be here to document yes. all of it. U.S. will become a laughing stock of the functional governance, no. and the American people will look dumber than usual. Oh. oh, man. The only solution would be not to have either of them. But realistically, I don't think there's enough political will in the American people to get there. Ugh, just so sad. One thing I, I want to comment on. That's how we go. That's how we roll. And I'm just saying this on a pure news standpoint. If you've been looking at the average polls, the Libertarian Party is making a slow climb. There's a good probability that they're going to make the debates. I think in this time when you have a Hillary Clinton and you and you have a Donald Trump, you you have an opportunity possibly for a third candidate to squeak through there. Like never before. Right. And it's and honestly, I think this is going to be their best only shot. Yeah. And so we'll see what happens and, and make great content. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Aaron writes and says, oh, my God, 200. Oh, my God. It's Anderson Cooper. I still remember my unfiltered 100 shirt by. For the future, can you shoot the episode in order? Having the overtime shot before the main show has always felt to kill the flow when it's played out of order. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's the unfiltered 300. Hold on. I'm just reading what he wrote. If you, okay. So for those of you not in the know, if you, if you go to our Patreon page, you don't even have to, you don't even have to be a supporter. You get the full experience, unedited, raw, in order, unfiltered experience. If you grab the download, the oh. overtime comes after the show in the in the experience that George Lucas intended. So you have both options available without the special effects. Got it. Uh, Josh writes and says, "Hey Chase, love the show. One issue I have noticed is that you guys often use RT as a counter to some of the bias that comes out of the American media. This makes sense because they often provide a point of view that the American media does not wish mm. to promote. Sure." The problem is, is that the different perspective also comes with some often more severe spin. Yep. I think it would be great if you continue showing these different biases, but also try to wrap up a topic with a uh, neutral source yeah. as you, if you can find it, even if you have to go yeah. to a less traditional source. I you, think I you think can even do print. Who is that? Who is that? What's the name? That's from Josh. Josh. Uh, so I think it's been like since episode 80 since we talked about this. So I'm, I, I, I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, we when we do this show, we kind of assume that the people watching understand that, but we totally take in and completely understand any bias that RT might have. RT, for those of you who don't know, stands for Russia Today. 
It's that right there. It tells yeah. you what their bias might be. Yeah. And in in my estimation, that's actually 100% just as viable as something that could theoretically be bias-free. Um, because if you watch a clip understanding that this might be the messaging of Moscow, it is actually even more informative. And so uh, I don't think we've ever, 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 ever tried to say this isn't an RT clip. Like we we want you. In fact, just right. today you said I'd like to hear it from somewhere else besides RT, and I immediately what did I do? Yeah, you you played a clip. I played a clip from another source. Right. So whenever we play an RT clip, we always multi-source. That's I want you to understand. We try that, as much as possible. Is, yeah. is what we're saying. And if you check the show notes, you'll often see that if we play an RT clip, we've multi-sourced it with a uh, written article in in a publication and not available for video. RT is willing to say things that nobody else is willing to say, and I actually find that to be extremely valuable. Not only to get the messaging from Moscow because you're able to – I at least I am. I'm able to watch it from like a, dis, a detached perspective and say, well, this is their messaging here. Obviously, this is what they want us to oh, know yeah. about. Yeah. And in fact, when the war against ISIS started, I thought it was particularly telling that RT – also was claiming that there was a boogeyman group called ISIS, and they weren't necessarily outing the fact that they were – a lot of them were backed by the CIA. Right. And I felt the fact that the RT – that RT wasn't calling that out was just as informative about RT's position as anything else. Oh, totally. And I, 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 I have to believe that in the grand scheme of things, like when we're at 500 episodes and you zoom way out, that – Context will be obvious and palatable because the messaging that is coming from those clips in retrospective will be obvious. And never do we ever play them without the understanding of who is perhaps influencing this. Is it Fox? Is it CNN? Is it MSNBC? Is it RT? Because they all bring their own built-in bias. Oh, totally, totally. And that's why you know sometimes when RT brings up a particular topic, they ask the questions that the other outlets are not privy to ask you know they're afraid to ask you know they're like uh they don't want to rock the boat they don't want to lose their sweet little slot there in the press room i will say this rt has the advantage of not being financed by uh advertising that cnn msnbc and fox news are so like pharmaceuticals or um, political organizations or think tanks Martin Vincent. Just like that. (laughs) Yes. Hi, Chase. I remember back in the days that there used to be a bit message for Unfilter. In fact, it's still on the show page. Yeah, he said, I found the address at jupitercolony.com. If it's still operating, why not give it a plug? Yeah, I I think it might not be. I need to double check, but I think it got disconnected, so we probably need to clean it up. Is bit message still a thing? Because, so, uh, Unfilter has received... So there are a lot of emails that come into the show that are encrypted and sort of are basically from people in the U.S. government that say, and and I could paraphrase this almost perfectly for all of them, hey, man, everything you're talking about is dead on, but it's only the tip of the iceberg. It's way worse than what you're talking right, about. Right, yeah. And yes. a ton of emails that come in like that, and that was what BitMessage was supposed to be about. Uh, but the problem was that Bit, BitMessage didn't really seem to get a lot of adoption. And this... This is, a, this is an area that I would actually really enjoy the audience's input on. What would be the appropriate way to securely communicate with the Unfilter show? Um, for me, I've kind of defaulted on you can find my information on Keybase, and if you encrypt against that, I can decrypt it. BitMessage, when we had that going, I, I, I mean, it was an unbelievable amount of information I got. But simply, the problem with BitMessage is it's not scalable, it, and you reload your machines, it doesn't work very well. Right. So right now, it's not actively being looked at. So if there's something better, let's... Look into it, yeah. Kenny McLeod, or McLeod. Uh, great shows, Chase and Chris. I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize 
Donald Trump's mother, Mary Trump, was born in Tong on the Isle of Lewis, a small island off the west coast of Scotland. This is the island of my birth, and I'm also McLeod. On behalf of my fellow tribespeople and islanders, I am truly sorry <laughs> that we have may have contributed in some part to the creation of this Frankenstein's monster that is the Donald. No. I, our only hope of redemption is that he might not actually have been born, but instead is glued together from globules or of pump. Posity? I'm sorry, I've never heard of this word. Priggish and Prout. Uh, he did offer us a multi-billion dollar golfing complex when his mother died in 2000, but as the only golf balls I've ever found on the island have been used for shotgun practice, he probably thought better of it. Pull! I mean, four! It only remains for me to wish you all the best for the epic episode 200 and into the future that may still exist in post-episode 212 Twilight Zone, Kenny. Hmm. Zero Fox writes in, hey guys, I've been a listener since you started on Filter. I just wanted to say I really appreciate what you do every week, and it helps me see through a lot of the BS of the mainstream news. Once I get up to some more income, I plan to jump up to Club 33. But for now, I'm going to keep pinching in when I can. Congrats on the big 200. Hope to see you at 300. hey And the last message, but certainly not least, comes in from Robin Monk. Says, hey, guys, I've been enjoying Unfilter for years. I love the perspective you guys give. One of the questions I see you guys ask a lot is where rebels, opposition forces, etc. get their cars. Thought you might find the CBC (laughs) article interesting as a possible explanation for where those come from. And he gave us a link. Yeah. I I personally want to say thanks to all of you who decided to take the time and write in to us at patreon.com slash unfilter. Next week, we'll be returning to a Club 33 edition of Chase's Sack. So if you are a Club 33 member, I will read your message here on the air. It could be about the show, what's going on in your neck of the woods, or if you have a neat business you want a simple plug on, you are supporting us tremendously. But thank you so much to all you guys who support us at patreon.com slash unfilter. And that's the end of the sack. Very nice, sir. Now, Chris. Thank you, everybody. Patreon.com slash unfilter for making this show possible. You said we had something that you needed to play. Yeah, I feel like we got to talk about Russia. I feel like we got to get into right. this. We can go talk about Russia. There's been some, you know, quote unquote, escalations oh, as of recent. Okay. Hold on, Chase. Hold on. Yes, let's, I'm, let's, I'm let's, holding. Let's, let's escalate the volume. Avon holding. Let's escalate the volume on this Fox News host. Take it away, sir. Russia's prime minister says Moscow might break diplomatic ah! relations with Ukraine over the latest conflict between those two. What? Conflict between Russia and Ukraine? Um, now, I've heard of little green men in eastern Ukraine. I've also heard there's a lot of shale oil in eastern, eastern Ukraine. I haven't heard of a, spe- a particular conflict. Here in the United States, Obama administration officials are keeping a wary eye on a tense situation. Correspondent Kevin Cork is traveling with the president, and he reports tonight from Martha's Vineyard. All right. Predictable, purely political, and potentially catastrophic. What? Yeah. That's how some experts are describing Russia's latest move into Ukraine. Moscow announcing the deployment of air defense missiles to the illegally annexed region of Crimea. So, if I'm understanding, the escalation in Ukraine is sending weapons to Crimea, which has legally voted... To, to be, succeed from, a cr- from Ukraine. Right. Okay. okay. I mean, that is close to Ukraine, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And planned military exercises for next week designed, they say, to simulate an attack by weapons of mass destruction. But didn't we just cover a story about NATO simulating trials of 
going into Ukraine? Yes. I think that it's obvious for everybody that the current authorities in Kiev are not looking for a way to solve problems through talks, but are turning to terror. Now, if you haven't heard episode 199, uh, you probably should understand exactly what he's referencing. This is a very alarming thing. Putin says his decisions are merely countermeasures against Ukraine, which he accused of sending saboteurs into Crimea to carry out terrorist acts against the Kremlin. But experts accuse Moscow of playing risky political games, saber-rattling at a time when his countrymen are questioning the human cost of the conflict with Ukraine, where more than 9,500 people have been killed since fighting began two years ago. So the entire positioning of this piece is that Russia is at war against Ukraine. Right. This party's up uh, for, for election, and some of this is subterfuge to be sure, but he wants a very decisive victory. He wants to be seen that he is in control. So the media messaging is that Putin is so desperate to win the next election that he must seem he's in control. Now, if we rewind the clock to, say, 180, you'll recall us covering all of the clips about his unbelievable, un- unprecedented acceptance level. Right. And that only, really high. only a dictator could have an acceptance level and Yeah, wasn't it, it like 90-something percent? Yes. It was crazy And high. now all of a sudden the media is telling us that in order to, to sense the next election, he must do these See, things. See, that doesn't pass a sniff test for no. me because it's like, we already know it's a bygone conclusion. He's yes. going to be there. <laughs> He's in control. Difficult relationship that we have with Russia right now. Uh-huh. Um, in the Bill Clinton. But it's not going to stop us from still trying to pursue solutions. The unrest is just the latest political headache for the Obama administration. Isn't it interesting how uh, he is totally channeling Bill Clinton? Oh, yeah. Totally. Involving Russia, which has sought closer ties with the Kremlin in the fight against ISIS in Syria, for example, but has maintained economic sanctions against Russia for a host of disruptive behaviors around the globe. See, this is one of those that right there. <laughs> that right there, that clip we were just showing, is one of those pesky clips that has uh, leaked out where <laughs> you actually see Susan Rice, President Obama, and Vladimir Putin having an off-the-side discussion about yeah. these things, which was totally off the books, not planned, not scheduled, yeah. not in either one of the president's calendar. I mean, this is, you know, honestly, this looks like what you would find like in a conference room yeah. at a at Holiday a, Inn, you know, yes. Yes. against <laughs> Russia for a host of disruptive behaviors around the globe. There is uh, a need to have a relationship with Russia and to work with Russia on a range of other issues, oh, yeah. uh, including the conflict in Syria. So figuring out how do you balance uh, that need to engage Russia with the need to deter Russia uh, in this particular case uh, is, is a tricky balancing. Oh, act. yeah. Totally. It's almost like there's two different narratives. Doug, Vice President Joe Biden today spoke with Ukrainian President Poroshenko, and he asked him to do what he could to avoid escalating tensions with Moscow. Now, that news, I should point out, comes on a day when we learned that the chief of staff for President Vladimir Putin, Sergei Ivanov, was fired from oh. his job. Oh, Doug, like it has uh, nothing to do with the fact that Biden's visiting Turkey, but yet we're still going to mention it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. For a minute there, I thought he was going to say... Has died. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. Uh, so uh, ever since uh, uh, Fox News' analyst here has gotten the smackdown, he's had a much more rational take. I've been watching him for a couple of weeks, and uh, this clip is sort of the perfect follow-up. What does this mean for the U.S.? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, mm. This was a meeting of reconciliation between Erdogan and Putin. And while it was almost lost, uh, and I thank you for bringing it up, almost lost in the white noise here about our election, it may prove to have been the most important meeting between two heads of state in this decade. Because if Turkey continues to move away from NATO, eventually separates from it, 
If Putin's reconciliation with Erdogan develops into an alliance, suddenly you have a geostrategic shift of the first magnitude. Think about it, Bill. Geography is fate, and you would have a great wall of dictatorships from the Arctic Circle all the way south through Russia, across the Black Sea, through Turkey and Syria, to Israel's Golan Heights. Wow. And if Putin could then bring Turkey and Iran, who are currently at loggerheads, bring them together into a triumvirate of Turkey, Iran, and Russia, it would be, the magnitude of that shift would be incalculable, and we would be shut out of the Middle East. That's like and by a, the way, we'd already be shut, shut out of the Black Sea. Uh, that would uh, that'd be a whole new type of Eastern Wall. This would loom, or does loom, as a huge test for the United States. Oh, what do you think, Chase? It's a big test. It's a big test. Everything's a test, though. I mean, seriously. I mean, all right, let's invade. All right, uh, that's a test. All right, let's shoot down a plane. All right, here's another test. I mean, it's all a test. So you got Russia and Turkey making things all better. Kumbaya, which we talked about recently. But one thing that we haven't talked about, we just found out this week, is that Turkey's not just making BFFs with uh, Russia. Russia is making BFFs with Iran and China. Russia says its long-range bombers like these carried out airstrikes in Syria against ISIS after taking off for the first time from a base in northwest Iran. Russian aircraft, according to the U.S., struck in Aleppo, Idlib, and Deir ez-Zor. The Russians notified the U.S. they were flying into Syria. Moscow insisted it is going after ISIS. The U.S., Disagree. Oh, we have not struck targets in Aleppo oh, okay. in a very long time. Oh, we have not struck targets in Idlib in a very long time, if we have at all. See, the thing is, is ah, and here's the problem, guys. Uh, just because you've sent in your own uh, mercenaries and trained troops, and so therefore have decided not to target that area, doesn't necessarily mean there aren't really super bad guys who need to die in that area. I mean, I think that's sort of what Russia's trying to say, and they're kind of exposing the fact that you're behind a lot of these different insurgents right. by bombing certain insurgents and not bombing other insurgents, because you kind of have to come out and just admit it. Uh, we don't see concentrations of ISIS in those areas. Secretary of State John Kerry called his Russian counterpart to raise concern. Of- so uh, the U.S. doesn't see a concentration of ISIS in that area, but yet Somehow, the dumb fucks in Moscow made the stupid mistake of sending their military forces, air forces in and dropping bombs on an area that doesn't have any ISIS people. Now, I'll, I'll just pass this by you, Chase, but yeah. does that sound likely or does it sound more likely that there were terrorists in that region and they just happened to be backed by the U.S.? Oh, I definitely take the latter. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Funny how that yeah, works, isn't it? Yeah, hmm. Yeah, but anyways, uh, we had to call Russia and talk to him about it. State John Kerry called his Russian counterpart to raise concern about using Iran's airbase. Yeah. That it complicates what is already a tense, complicated situation. You know, you're making friends with our enemies and that's, that's not good. Publicly, Russia wants the U.S. to agree to join operations, especially near Aleppo, where tens of thousands of civilians are trapped. The Russian defense minister says Moscow is in very active negotiations with the U.S. That's his uh, messaging on what he wants to happen uh, to, to gain an upper hand, as Russia always attempts to do when they're in these kind of negotiations. You know, like helping those... <sighs> civilians in Aleppo. (laughs) Tonight, the State Department said the U.S. is continuing to pursue an agreement. 
but the U.S. military has been skeptical of any deal with the Russians because of the continued bombing of civilians in anti-Assad rebel groups rather than ISIS targets. And I want to just clarify here, civilians is uh, newspeak for contractors who are not necessarily Syrian civilians. So they are civilians, right. but they are not necessarily Syrian civilians. They are contractors. Right. That's that's the news speak that you got to make that translation when they're talking about this. Bombing of civilians in anti-Assad rebel groups. Anti-Assad rebel groups, also known as ISIS. Rather than ISIS targets. ISIS targets being the anti-Assad rebel groups that we don't back. The U.S. believes Moscow is still aiming at bolstering the Syrian leader, Bashar al-Assad. The elected president of Syria. We're nowhere close uh, to reaching a final agreement while they continue to buy, bomb uh, civilian uh, facilities, especially hospitals. So uh, those dirty Russians are bombing civilian hospitals while we have yet hold on exactly word for word what did he say uh, civilian let's go back a little bit so we're close uh, to reaching a final agreement so we are close to reaching a final agreement as to what should happen to the entire nation of syria <sighs> did you know i don't know if you've looked at the map recently but if you look at the map uh, if you look at the map right next to texas is the uh, state of syria the united syria did you know it's the united yeah no what? I, I, I didn't see that at all, Chris. I, I've looked at Google Maps all the time. I, I did not see that. But he says that we have a say and a stake in Syria. Real? Does it have like the little U.S. in parentheses like to designate it that it's a territory of the United States? I'm Maybe. Gonna, uh, can, you, can you pull that hmm. up? Yeah. You know, Chase, doing a little Googling here. No, Bing Maps. Bing, use okay. Bing Maps. Okay, Maps. No, huh. no, I don't see it either. Chase, it, it actually looks like Syria is Map its MapQuest. Oh, okay, MapQuest. Okay. No, I don't uh, see it there. Chase, either. I'm looking at a map. It looks like Syria might actually be its own independent nation with its I own political structure. I think they do. Like the United States, a completely across an entirely separate uh, ocean, has no say on what this nation That's should do. That's amazing to me. But, you know, listening to this man, it sounds like that we have a say on what happens to their political a structure. Final, final agreement. Aiming at bolstering the Syrian leader, Bashar al-Assad. We're nowhere close uh, to reaching a final agreement while they continue to buy, bomb uh, civilian uh, facilities, especially hospitals. So that is code for they have oil. Uh, civilian uh, facilities, especially hospitals. Which oh, yeah, oil. They have done within the last couple of weeks. If the Russians hope to unnerve the U.S. by using an Iranian airbase to show more cooperation with Tehran, U.S. officials say it did not work. CNN has learned U.S. intelligence assets, including aircraft like these AWACS, were able to track the Russian military as it landed in Iran and throughout its bombing attacks inside Syria. Hmm. Interesting report. Something worth taking in. Right. And, of course, uh, this is concerning. If The core information in that story is that Russia is launching airstrikes against ISIS from Iranian air bases. That's the key message you're supposed to take from that clip. Russia and Iran are now working together against ISIS. Well, it's not just Russia and Iran, is it? It's Russia, Turkey, and Iran working against ISIS. Actually, it's not just Turkey, Russia, and Iran working against ISIS. Turn ISIS. ISIL. I a dash. Turns out China's in the mix, too. What? international news now where it seems there's increasing cooperation over Syria. 
It follows Iran allowing Russia to use an air base and now China saying it will offer military help to the Syrian government. So you now have Iran, Russia, Syria itself and China all working together in a coalition. There's RT's Guyan Chichikan with more. Close military ties with Syria. A senior Chinese military official just visited Damascus where he met with the Syrian defense minister. According to the agency, the Chinese and Syrian officials also talked about the possibility for China to provide military training and humanitarian aid to Syria. This talk about the possibility of China providing military training to Syrian government forces marks a change in China's more detached approach to the war in Syria. China had previously praised Russia's role there, but but it may now provide more specific support to the fight against terrorists. The Chinese news agency also reported that while in Damascus, the Chinese military official also met with the Russian general. So you have a potential alliance forming not only with China, but also with Iran. This weekend, Russian jets delivered their first airstrikes on terrorist targets in Syria, operating from an Iranian airbase. The bombers took off from Hamadan airfield to attack ISIL and al-Nusra facilities in Aleppo, Derizor and Idlib provinces. That is a major, major win for Russia. To be able to launch from Iran air bases is unbelievably huge. Oh, yeah. So for those of you not looking at a map right now, you see in between Syria and Iran is Iraq. And they can launch from Iran and fly over Iraq and strike in Syria. The Russian defense ministry said the strikes had eliminated five major terrorist weapons depots and training compounds in the area. Oh, wow. So you have a strategic cooperation between Russia and Iran in Syria, and we may now add China to that alliance. Holy shit. Wow. The difference between this alliance and the U.S.-led anti-ISIL coalition would be that to go after terrorists, Russia, Iran, and China are supporting the Syrian army, while the U.S.-led coalition is supporting rebel forces in Syria. As if maybe the only antagonist group was backed by the U.S.? The problem is those rebel forces sometimes join forces with terrorists, and it becomes difficult to distinguish them from terrorists. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> funny how that, funny how yeah, that happened. Interesting how that works. Isn't that, isn't that sort of a huge milestone, though, oh, in a way? Totally. Mm. When you get those countries getting together, man, it makes you wonder. And you know what the problem is with Turkey getting involved on this? And it's very, very, very awkward because it turns out uh, we have nukes at that Turkey airbase that we can't get access to. Well, right now, new worries about America's nuclear arsenal, especially concerning the weapons located in Turkey. After last month's failed military coup and crackdown by the Turkish president, a new report claims U.S. nuclear weapons at a key air base in Turkey are at risk of capture by hostile forces. Oh. Turkey, of course, shares that long border with Syria, and right now it's believed what? we have about 50 nuclear bombs what? at the air base there in Sirlik. So this is a story that I've been following for a long time, but we haven't had any audio on until now. So there is a massive nuke installation right on the border of Syria. So I'm sorry, but if this is really like at risk and uh-huh. blo- why wouldn't we just go in there and go like, no, you stay back. I actually, I, I think that might be coming. Just yeah. 70 miles from the Syrian border. So 70 miles from the Syrian border. Wow. And, and Turkey is screwing with us since the coup. 
where American military jets are on standby to, to deploy the world's, one of the world's most dangerous weapon, if ever order came to do that. This air base is also a strategic location in the coalition's fight against ISIS in Syria and Iraq. And the base's Turkish commander was recently arrested in connection with the coup attempt. So all the more reason to pay attention to what could happen if President Erdogan in, in Turkey decides to do more. A Pentagon spokesman says this, we do not discuss the location of strategic assets. DOD has taken appropriate steps to maintain the safety and security of our personnel, uh -huh. their families, and our facilities, okay. and we will continue to do so. So the nukes are hanging out there 50 miles from the Syrian border, and that's this is the air base that Turkey is still screwing with our power. This wow. Is, yeah, man. Yeah. Wowzers. You ready to you ready to turn that lens internally and look back at the United States of America? Oh. Let's pick oh. up let's let's talk about uh the DNC hacks being uh being you know continued. Drive me crazy that DNC right there. Uh, uh, zoom in on that. Mustaches. And uh it now it now sounds like somebody's coming out and saying exactly what your own filter show said last week. A New York Times article this week suggested that the hack of the DNC emails were much broader than initially thought, involving more than 100 members. The incident happened just before the Democratic convention last month, and it sent the media on a frenzy of that's accusations against Russia. That's how we roll. However, no proof has yet been presented, and one NSA whistleblower believes the hack might have been an inside job. Alexi Arashevsky has that report. So let's 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 dig into this a little bit. So let's just do a couple of quick things on the DNC hack. If you guys want to know more, listen to the last couple of episodes. Um, but they're theorizing that it was an internal employee, just like we did last That's week, right. That's who got shot said. in the back. Right. And you know, I think it's pretty clear now that there may be multiple hacks against the DNC, <laughs> and and whoever leaked this to WikiLeaks wasn't necessarily a Russian agent. That said. Depends on who you ask, because this could be one of the biggest political scandals of our time. The New York Times has spoken with officials who have knowledge of the case and found out that the hackers breached private email accounts, and not just a couple, of more than 100 party officials and different groups. So this is kind of adorable and cute and sweet at the same time, because it, it sounds almost like we've discovered first they hacked the DNC, and then we discovered they hacked personal accounts. Isn't that what it sounds like to exactly, you? Exactly, yeah. Uh, and actually, I believe if you follow the news story very closely, it turns out initially a Yahoo account was compromised, oh. a.k.a. a personal account, and then it was revealed DNC accounts were hacked. Okay. And so the media is spinning this like, oh my gosh, new revelations. But actually, these are things we've kind of known all along. Accounts, and not just a couple, of more than 100 party officials and different groups. And we learned today that the Senate and House Intelligence Committees were briefed on this hack last week. Who did this, you ask? House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi has told CNN that she has been told that it's the Russians. Oh, really? Because I, I was told it was the guy that got shot in the back um, yeah, just a couple of days after the leak. So that's odd. Right. Who are responsible. Well, if it's the Russians, I'm sure Nancy's about to come out with some super solid evidence. So, yeah, we're, we're going to see it right I mean, here. She's a, she's a very high-level government official. She's got a long political career. You yep. want to make sure that when you put your name on the line for something like this, you're going to back it up with some facts. Absolutely. This is an electronic water gate. Oh. This is an electronic water gate. Oh, well, if you say it twice. That well, then that means it's serious yeah. and it's an electronic yeah. water gate. Because if you say it once, I don't think you're serious. But when you say it twice, then I know you're serious. This is an electronic water gate. This is a break-in. 
this is a break-in. And it, I think that we have to recognize uh, what is happening. You see how she looked down at her notes there yeah. for a second to yeah. read this? This is an amazing, amazing piece of political theater on the behalf of Hillary Clinton by Nancy Pelosi. And this is how Nancy ensures that she is taken care of in a Clinton campaign. It is this very action right now, which you are witnessing on Unfilter 200, to see how Nancy Pelosi secures her position and a Clinton political infrastructure. That's the only thing this is about. And I think that we have to recognize uh, what is happening here. Yeah, we have to recognize that all of you are shilling for the Clinton campaign. That's what we have to recognize. And I think that we have to recognize uh, what is happening here. Anyone who would exploit for the purpose of embarrassment or something like that. Anybody who reads the contents of these leaks, anybody who runs a news story based on reports from this information, anybody, anybody who would dare, dare play into the hands of the Russians. Embarrassment or something like that is an accomplice. You are becoming a Russian agent simply by reading and reporting on How the content dare of you, leaks. sir? Anyone who would exploit for the purpose of embarrassment or something like that is a, an accomplice to that. So don't look. And you know what's great, uh, Chase, as we uh, move on here into the Soros leaks, there, that was, at the beginning of the week, that was the meme that came out. Anybody that looks at this, you are simply playing into the Russian hands. Do you want to go on the air? And become a Russian agent, you fool. That was the message early you know, on. That reminds me of I, the same kind of meme or, you know, kind of storyline. I, I guess I'm not a child of the 60s, but, you know, like, man, that's communist speak. That's communist thoughts. You know, they, you know, it's like it's being the same story, the same memes being replayed now, but with Russia, but, you know, kind of in the same style. And that's uh, so interesting. To me. And, and that was that was sort of the highbrow intellectual news outlets won't be discussing this because they won't fall into the Russians' plans. That was sort of the meme put out right. there. And then, and I, I telegrammed you about this, like I, when the Soros leaks were announced, that a new meme that sort of kicked off from that precipice launched, and I couldn't believe it. And it was, the WikiLeaks documents contain malware. See, now, I, I didn't respond to you. And I thought that, no, that I don't think that's going to catch. I don't think that's going to light the fire. Nobody looked at the leaks, dude. No. I, I got right a couple now, reports. Well, right now. Right now is no one looking at the leaks. But they're looking. I, right, I, I, right. I, I don't know if they're going to buy that one. I, I, just, I don't feel it. A radical leftist George Soros donating $13 million to the Democratic Party so far. Who's that guy on the screen right now? Uh, that's George Soros, and on the left there is Bill O'Reilly. Papa Bear. Papa Bear. You know why I'm playing a Papa Bear clip? Oh, I mean, we haven't played him in a while. Nope. You know, he's good fun, and nope. he's good entertainment. That's all true. That's it's all true. A, it's a no-spin zone. That's also um, what he says. <laughs> uh, no. Um, so producer Matt and I took a special moment today together and, and reassessed all of our media feeds. We went through the entire clip archive, and we went back and looked at all of our untapped resources. And we tried to find any single other Western media report of the George Soros leaks. And this was the only report we could find. Wow, really? Is exposed by Russian hackers. Here now in New York City, Dr. Jeannie Zeno teaches political science at Iona College. As a Democrat, how do you react to what we just told the folks? 
You know, I mean, look, George Soros is a billionaire philanthropist. He has raised an awful lot of money for democratic causes, causes that people on the left care about. He has donated money. You know, and you look at all the people who have raised money who haven't donated. All the So the Soros leaks have come out this week, and what they have shown is that George Soros is sort of ha- has his hands in just about every major story we've talked about in the last two years, um, from the Brexit and uh, and immigration for refugees in Russia to literally creating funds to give wages to folks participating in Black Lives Matters protests. And that is a huge deal because he is financing the, the creation of the signs, of the memes. He's right. actually paying people to show up to events and protest. And, he's t- and it's sick because he's taking advantage of the massive reality of unemployed, unemployed people in the United States. Yeah. And he's giving them money because they're desperate and having them go protest Trump campaigns. Yeah. He's having them go to events as Black Lives Matters. And this is truly the sick things from the Soros if leaks. If you look at the foundation, it is $13 billion in 33 years. That is an awful lot of money. It has gone an awful lot of places. When you're dealing with that amount of money, yes, it's going to go places that make certain people uncomfortable. But this is a Soros-directed. This is his philosophy. Absolutely. Now, the Democratic Party is accepting his money. Absolutely. Right? As the Republican Party well, would well, as well. Let's keep it with the Democrats. Don't talk about that. With no, all no, due no. respect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right? They're accepting the money. Do they have an obligation to explain whether they support Soros' vision of open borders everywhere in the United States? His vision of denigrating Israel to the Democratic Party? Does the Democratic Party, Don and Brazil as the, as the head, have an obligation to explain that to you, a Democrat? I think they absolutely have to be transparent about where that money is coming from and what it is directed to. I- so the Soros leaks are pretty disgusting. And what's been sort of phenomenal about it is the absolute crushing lack of coverage everywhere. Just totally crushing. Hackers have leaked over 2,000 documents linked to billionaire George Soros. 2,000 documents come out. Wow. And CNN can't find it within their time to run a single story. I'm going to play a little segment in overtime to show you what they talked about instead of this. So stay tuned for that. But here's a little rundown. And his uh, grant-making organization, Open Society Foundation. The papers exposed the group's ongoing attempts to influence political processes in Europe, in Russia, other parts of the world as well. Here's Guy in a chichikan. Leaked documents from George Soros' Open Society Foundations show persistent efforts by the organization to influence the political process in Europe. To reach out to European voters, the organization has funded local advocacy groups, social media projects, and journalists. Here's an example. Over $130,000 went to a project by a group called EU Observer. This project uses professional news reporting to foster debate on how open society values are under stress in the run-up to the European election. That's one of the most interesting things about the Soros leaks is it shows how they just, they just use the journalists that are supposed to be giving you the news to to just peddle you his crap. Wow. EU Observer recruited experienced local journalists to visit campaign events, conduct interviews, and solicit high-level op-eds in 16 countries. While the Soros organization has been doing all this hard work trying to influence politics in Europe, a leaked document shows the organization's half-a-million-dollar effort to find evidence of Russia's alleged influence in Europe's political life. The proposal reads, quote, 
the evidence is still rather sketchy and based more on strong allegations, hence the need to first do a proper mapping. End quote. I think that the European public is underreacting, and that's why I'm trying to explain to them uh, the real uh, danger uh, that uh, uh, Russia represents. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it and, you know, fuck the EU. From the leaked document, we also see that the Soros team recognizes the problem of trying to accuse Russia of influencing politics in Europe. Naming and shaming from us is problematic. We also are in the business of channeling money into other countries for political purposes. <laughs> when he says democracy, he means Sorosocracy. He doesn't mean what we might otherwise think of democracy. He wants to wreck Europe. Uh, he, that's why he's for all these, these open borders and these vast numbers of, of um, people coming in. Over the years, George Soros has been accused of meddling in internal politics of a number of countries. So that would be great. It has a uh, clip of a bunch of different wow. types. Yeah, yeah. And have the UN help glue yeah. it. And, you know, fuck the EU. Makes you wonder because the Newland is, uh, well, she's sort of uh, she's sort of the errand boy of George Soros. That that, yeah. that particular leak becomes more interesting in that in that context. So George Soros, huge huge story, not getting any coverage this week at all. What do you think? Obviously, it's the money play, right? He's got his money and wrapped up in so many things that he. I think it's pretty much bought the silence. And I, I will. I'm going to punt this till our Trump segment, but uh, I think the answer simply comes down to. George Soros backs a lot of Democrats. George Soros backs Clinton. Clinton buys a lot of TV advertising. Ergo, you don't bring it up. Just like you don't bring up the issues with pharmaceutical companies, you don't bring up the issues with George Soros. It simply comes down to this is how you make revenue as right. a as a TV company, and you can't talk about these things. It's just it's there's nothing evil about it. There's nothing nefarious about it. It simply comes down to their own survival. They can't talk about it. That's their issue. The Clinton campaign, however, wants you thinking about her taxes. Meantime, tonight, Hillary Clinton releasing her 2015 tax returns and asking Donald Trump, where are his? Oh, and the media <laughs> certainly helped <laughs> applying the pressure. And we do the math tonight. How much would the Clintons have saved under Donald Trump's proposed tax plan? How clever is that? That's, that's so clever what they're doing here. Uh, what spin? That is an incredible spin. Here's ABC Cecilia Vega now. This is national nightly news, you guys. Tonight, Hillary Clinton taking on Donald Trump over his refusal to release his taxes. You notice how immediately, instead of it being about Clinton, instead of being about her taxes, instead of being about where her charitable donations go, the entire thing is positioned as something about Trump. Right. Using his own words against him in a new video. But if you didn't see the tax returns, you'd think there's almost like something wrong. What's wrong? And applying more pressure by releasing hers. The Clintons earned more than $10 million last year, a steep drop from the $28 million a year earlier. Yeah, they're just funneling it into another pot. Come the on. The result of fewer paid speeches, an issue that has dogged her campaign from the start. That's a nice little zing. Okay. 83 paid speeches in uh, 2014, only 28. Well, to be fair, Chris, she was getting ready to run. Oh, well, she was thinking about running. Speech that great should be released to the American people. 
But Hillary Clinton still earned more than a million dollars for speaking to industries from tech to banking before she formally launched her bid for the White House. The Clintons' federal tax rate, more than 34 percent, and they donated more than a million dollars to charity. You know, if I was Trump, I would say, all right, I'll release my tax re- records when you release your speech transcripts. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's what any normal campaign you, manager would say. And if he's smart, he'd wait a month or two to do it. Right. Now, I want to play this part again. Did more than a million dollars to charity. More than a million dollars to charity. Wow, so about 10%. Nice. Nice job, Hillary. Do you know... Do you know where, uh, could, do you have, it, it's funny, they don't mention it. Do you, I, do you, so if they send a million dollars to charity, do you suppose they would maybe tell you which charity? Let's just uh, play it back. What, the Clinton Foundation? Did more than a million dollars to charity. Is the Clinton uh, Foundation of 501? The Are they a registered 501? All of it went to the Clinton Foundation. You got it, buddy. You got it. All of it. I knew it. All of their charitable donations it. went to the Clinton Foundation. Funny how that ends up working, right? On June 19, 2012, Cheryl Mills, then the chief of staff for Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, boarded an Amtrak Acela train in Washington's Union Station. Now we have a new batch of Clinton emails released uh, thanks to uh, the uh, a uh, Freedom Information request, and uh, a whole bunch of things have come out about some of uh, Clinton's closest aides. Bound for New York. What she did, who she met with, and why has remained a mystery even to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee, until now. For the last seven months, Senate investigators have been trying to find out what Mills was up to. And for seven months, the U.S. Department of State has refused to answer. Now CNN has learned a potential reason why. Cheryl Mills, then a U.S. government employee and Secretary of State Clinton's chief of staff. So Cheryl Mills was the chief of staff for Secretary of State Clinton. Was in New York, working on behalf of the Clinton Foundation. What? A source close to the situation confirms to CNN Mills was interviewing two people for the leadership role of the foundation. Well, that doesn't sound like State Department work, does it? No, totally not. The interviews took place inside the Park Avenue executive headhunting offices of Russell Reynolds. Mills would interview top-level executives at Walmart. You know, she must be there on behalf of Hillary and Bill. If this woman totally. is... And the drug company Pfizer, both companies, huge donors to the Clinton Foundation oh. and partners with the Clinton Global Initiative. Huh. Was Mills' role in violation of government ethics rules? Did she have permission from the U.S. State Department? Did State even know the trip was taking place? Nope. CNN has asked the U.S. State Department all of these questions. This was the response. Federal employees are permitted to engage in outside personal activities within the scope of the federal ethics rules. Oh, man, they're so protecting Hillary. State spokesperson tells CNN all federal employees are subject to federal ethics laws and regulations, including rules pertaining to conflicts of interest. That vague response raises more questions that are just not being answered, not to CNN, but worse, says one watchdog group, not to the Republican-led Senate Judiciary Committee, which has a right to know. Congress has a rightful uh, right to ask for any information that it wants to from the executive branch of government to keep track of them, and the government should be turning that information over. And when you have a breakdown in that system, we have a breakdown in our democracy. Yep, it's easy to understand why. See that good hug she's got there? That's a good hug. Oh yeah, good hug. Cheryl Mills was trusted with helping find the next director of the Clinton Foundation. Her relationships with the Clintons goes back decades. I am honored to be here today. Ninety-nine. 
on behalf of the president. As Bill Clinton's deputy White House counsel, she defended the then president during impeachment proceedings. I want you to listen to this because this is key to the understanding of the Clintons. They have a very small group of people who stay with them. Cheryl Mills, Uma Abedin, Clinton's personal bodyguard, and others, they quit their jobs to stay with the Clintons. So listen to this. They quit their jobs. They move around because they know that when the Clintons get into the next position of power, they'll bring them along. These people have no allegiance to the United States. They are not patriots. They are simply aligned to the Clintons. Listen to this. Uma is even worse, but all we have for this particular episode is... Our example here defended the then president during impeachment proceedings in 2008 when Hillary Clinton was running for president. Mills was her senior legal campaign advisor. So she worked with Clinton in 99. She defended Bill during the um, a whole blowjob scandal. Yeah. She quits to join up with Hillary during her campaign. Hi, Hillary Rodham Clinton. And when Hillary Clinton became secretary of state, Mills left the board of the Clinton Foundation and became Hillary Clinton's chief of staff. So she's in and out of the foundation. So when you're not working directly for the Clintons, they got a job for you. It's at the foundation. And then... When they're back in political power, they pull you out of the foundation and they put you somewhere in the United States government that isn't an elected the, position. The foundation's just a holding tank. That's all it is. It's, it's a holding pattern yeah. until they can put you in a non-elected position. ...of the Clinton Foundation and became Hillary Clinton's chief of staff. Oh, so she goes from being somebody who's participating in a, in a foundation that's right. supposed yep. to be tied to a presidential museum and library to being the... Number two of the Secretary of State. Wow. What the hell is this? ...of the Clinton Foundation and became Hillary Clinton's chief of staff. Now Mills is once again on the board of the Clinton Foundation oh. and was backstage with Hillary Clinton at the Democratic National Convention. The secrecy about the New York trip, the dual roles played by trusted assistants, the mixing of business between state, Clinton Foundation, and its donors... All play into a central theme of Donald Trump's campaign that politicians like the Clintons use government to benefit themselves. These are crooked people. They've you been see crooked again, from the beginning. They tie it all into Trump. So this is an absolutely 100% legitimate report about Clinton, the emails that have just been released, the now ties Trump in there. Between, between the foundation and the State Department while she was heading it, and then they, they wrap it all up with this Trump association, which almost to me implies that if you believe all of this stuff... Then you're with Trump. Exactly. So listen right, to how, that's what they're... Yeah. Listen to how they position this, because, because it feels like it almost... like You don't need to have Trump in this analysis at all. There's no reason to go to Trump after this. You could have ended it right here. Instead, they pivot to Trump and tie it all together to Trump. Played by trusted assistants, the mixing of business between state, Clinton Foundation, and its donors all play into a central theme of Donald Trump's campaign. Well, then he must uh, be, if you believe some of these things about Hillary, that you're a Trump supporter, you dirty, dirty, guilty Democrat. That politicians like the Clintons use government to benefit themselves. These are crooked people. See, now you go to you go to Trump because this is crazy. This is right. extreme. And what they're trying to do, I believe... To be fair, they did the same thing to Bernie, too. They tried sure. to connect Bernie to it. Sure. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, if you are a Democrat and you are undecided about Hillary, like if, if you're one of those that isn't, hasn't even decided to hold their nose and vote, like you just don't like the dog and maybe you're thinking about that right. asshole Johnson or that, God forbid, that bitch Jill Stein, screw 
screw you. You better vote for Hillary because if you don't, then you're a Donald Trump supporter. The mixing of business between state, Clinton Foundation, and its donors all play into a central theme of Donald Trump's campaign. So if you believe this, you're all playing in right into Trump hands, you idiot. That politicians, like the Clintons, use government to benefit themselves. That's a crazy Trump theory. And if you think that, then you're no better than Trump. These are crooked people. They've been crooked from the beginning. You look at that foundation. It's pure theft and pure crookedness. You see how they position him as the boogeyman and they make his they take his words and they make you feel guilty for also thinking those same right. things. Well, wow, I'm I'm thinking like Trump. Yeah. Oh boy. These are crooked people. They've been crooked from the beginning. You look at that foundation. It's pure theft and pure crookedness. Cheryl Mills' attorney says her client was simply doing volunteer work for a charitable foundation. Why does Cheryl Mills not say that directly? Why does the attorney have to say that? She was not paid. The Clinton Foundation also says Mills was not a paid employee. Of course not. It's about being protected for years. It's about coming in and out of government. It's not about getting paid. You do those things as an investment in your future career. That's not about getting paid. Give me a break. Uh, so this is so what that that whole art that whole report was positioned around new leaks that have come out. But well, they're not really leaks. Their emails that have been released early by the State Department. Now to the never-ending story relating to Hillary Clinton's email account and server. A new batch of emails released this week. Many say it provides examples that there were cozy relationships between the State Department and the Clinton Foundation and people who worked within both entities. Joining us now, Chris Farrell, Director of Research and Investigations for Judicial Watch. Now this was a great guest because... Judicial Watch. They're the one involved. Arguably the group that's bringing, um, really responsible for bringing to light almost all the content in these emails. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you. Thanks. First and foremost, there's indication that there's these accusations of pay-to-play. But for those folks at home who can't spend the time to go through all those emails, are there distinct examples that you can give us that prove that there is this activity going on, this nefarious activity? The great thing about these records that we've obtained is that they are documents. They're federal government documents. And they're from the principals involved, from Huma Abedin, who is Hillary Clinton's personal assistant for decades now, people like Cheryl Mills, Doug Band, a director of the Clinton Foundation. All these characters are in email communication with each other, and they're arranging things like access to government officials, meetings, contacts. They're leveraging Mrs. Clinton's position as Secretary of State and her inner circle. They're leveraging her official conduct for their benefit Financially, And this is the rampant during Hillary's term as Secretary of State. And it perfectly fits in with an example. If you go before her term of Secretary of State, the same exact type of behavior happening where it's pay to play. You get you do her a favor. She does you a favor. It does not matter if you're Putin and you want 20 percent of the uranium supply. You pay to play. See, I you know, I, I still have an open challenge out there. I don't know if you remember the challenge. I think I threw it down on 198, 197. And I wanted to hear from Hillary supporters and Trump supporters. I wanted to know, um, w- through all the evidence and through all the information that's thrown out there, how can you consciously vote for your particular candidate? How can you do it? You know, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people that, you know, will blindly support uh, Trump because, you know, they think there's a media bias against him, which, you know, we've seen in many, many ways. But how could you even vote for Trump based on all the lies that he's thrown out there, his racist comments how could you even vote for hillary based on 
uh, her Clinton Foundation, the email scandals, the absolute Benghazi, just, yeah. all these things. And I'm like, I'm, I'm consciously wondering how and why, why? And, you know, with the, the third party coming into play here, the Libertarian Party, I mean, all, all Gary's got to do is play a Hillary clip, play a, a Trump clip and go, there you go. I'm better than those guys. There you go. Yeah. So I, I, I just like, I, I'm still baffled about this, this whole thing. I totally agree. Uh, it really is something I would like to hear more from the people who are totally sold on one of these candidates. Uh, you know who's not sold on uh, either one of these candidates necessarily? Uh, judge Napolitano. And the he, judge. He thinks some of this foundation stuff um, might actually be more of a smoking gun than the emails. Or on the legal implications of all this, Fox senior judicial analyst, Judge Andrew Napolitano. Judge, you're listening to this. We're shaking our heads going, how much, how much, this is almost textbook if quid it, pro quo. Right. If, it weren't, if it weren't so tragic, it would almost be laughable that the right hand permits the left hand to engage in this. What we have here, not only from Tom's work, and by the way, he's a, a single-handed, dedicated person who exposed all this by filing these Freedom of Information Act lawsuits. What we see here is a regular, consistent pattern of foreign governments, foreign entities, and foreign persons coming to the Clinton State Department and asking for favors, favors she is lawfully allowed to give, an exemption from this rule, permission to do that, That's the opportunity to purchase this. And then after the favor is issued, formally using the formal power that the federal law gives to the Secretary of State, huge contributions are made to the Clinton Foundation, and in some cases, huge speaking fees to Bill Clinton himself, by huge, $750,000, $500,000 to former President Bill Clinton, the husband of the Secretary of State, for a 35 Let me tie that up even further. These things happened after 2009. Right. Bill Clinton is, has not been president for nine years at that point. Right. Yet his speaking fee went from a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, up to five hundred thousand and above. Nine years after he left, but it happens to coincide with Hillary Clinton's time. Eleven of, of the thirteen, of course, during her time. Of State course, because he's not only producing a speech, yeah. he's producing some exemption from American uh, federal regulation or some opportunity in America for these people that are hosting the speech that only his wife can give. Uh, Eric, in my view, this is an easier case for the FBI to prove. Than the email case was. It's easier for oh. the public to understand. Oh. It's easier for the for a jury to. Oh, it's circumstantial at this point, Judge. Though I mean, you and I have this idea that yes, he, his his fee went up double and triple during her time. But uh, do you, if, is there a smoking gun? Is if the that? DOJ were serious about this, they would indict some of the people who got these favors. And yep, exactly. Right there. Right there. Those people would spill the beans on what their negotiations were with Bill and his people, and what their negotiations were with Hillary and and her. People. If they were serious about it. Right. But that doesn't seem to be happening. No, Loretta no. Lynch. Too much protection. You know, speaking of this whole Clinton email scandal thing, uh, you know, this all does come down to some honest reporting from time to time that has to take place to get answers. And uh, I take you to a State Department briefing that happened just a couple of days ago, trying to just get, you know, the straight the straight answers. This is just a raw feed of the State Department briefing from uh, their uh, daily YouTube posting. Do you have any response to criticism by some that suggests there was a relationship between uh, the Clinton Foundation and the State Department at the time? Now, they're asking uh, 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 Kennedy Trudeau, who is Trudeau. Yeah, Trudeau. Uh, Same same Trudeau? Yeah. Spokesperson for the State Department. There was an email that came out in this recent set that uh, is between 
the, an executive at the Clinton Foundation and Huma Abedin and Cheryl Mills, where he is requesting to set up a, a meeting between a billionaire donor and the U.S. ambassador to Lebanon. Do you- so if you are a donor to the Clinton Foundation, you could simply email Hillary Clinton and get a response from Uma that would just organize everything for you. So if you've donated to the Clinton Foundation, you have access. Is there a minimum amount that I need to I know, to right? We should maybe like do a, a GoFundMe. Any response to... So, you know, very similar to what I said before, I'm not going to speak to specific emails. However, I think you guys know State Department officials are regularly in touch with a wide variety wide. of um, outside individuals. Yeah, totally. Totally. Wide variety of people who would have the name Clinton Foundation while our Secretary of State is named Hillary Clinton's totally normal. And organizations, including businesses, nonprofits, NGOs, think tanks, you know, the nearly 55,000 pages of former Secretary Clinton's emails released by the department over the past year give a sense of the wide range of individuals, both inside and outside government. A wide range of the political influence. I'm just reading this response. Department officials are in contact with on a range of subjects. So you don't feel like this email or... You don't feel like there was impropriety uh, in the relationship between the Clinton Foundation and the State Department? We talked to a wide range of people. That's not an answer. That's not an answer. My level, at various levels. I talked to a lot of people. And I talked, so Clinton Foundation, no. In the department. NGOs, think tanks, business leaders. You just said that. You know, um, experts. Oh, experts. They talk to experts. A variety of subjects. <laughs> Except in this. Her question. And, 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 and importantly. <laughs> That's not answering the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's Matt from the AP. Yep. In this case, Love him. Secretary Clinton made a pledge that she would not personally or substantially in any way involve herself with the Clinton Foundation. Did you know that? That when she joined the State Department, she made a I pledge. remember that. I yeah. remember that. Yeah. So it's not just any outside organization. It's a specific organization that she said ahead of time she wouldn't have contact with. So doesn't that – doesn't this then seem to violate that pledge? So, again, to reiterate, you know, department officials are in touch with a wide range of individuals. I'd note that former Secretary Clinton's ethics agreement did not preclude – other State Department officials from having contact with Clinton Foundation. So because Uma and Cheryl Mills were the ones that did the actual technical communication, she can make this claim. Even though, and I, I, I will play, we've, we will play this clip, you can literally see that Uma grabs Hillary's BlackBerry and responds from Hillary's BlackBerry to people's emails and answers their questions. She gets to have the esoteric explanation of, well, it wasn't me. I didn't personally involve these people from the Clinton Foundation. Oh, it was my geez. assistants. Yeah, isn't that something? That's that's, that's what she's relying wow. on. That That's what Trudeau right here is, is relying on. ethics agreement did not preclude other State Department officials from having contact with Clinton Foundation staff. Can you, can you at least try, try to answer a, a, Abigail's question, which was, has <laughs> the department looked into this and determined that there was no impropriety? As the department is regularly in touch with people across the whole spectrum. You're not answering the question. The question is whether or not 
you looked into this, this the, the, the building has looked into it and determined that everything was okay, that there was nothing wrong. We feel confident in our ability and our past practice of reaching out to a variety of sources and being responsive to requests. <laughs> I'm sorry, are you, am I not speaking English? <laughs> oh, God, right? Like, God, I love him. Why are you not hearing me? This is very simple. Of reaching out to a variety of sources and being responsive to requests. I'm sorry, are you, am I not speaking English? Is this, I mean, is it coming across as a forum? I'm not asking you if, no one is saying it's not okay or it's bad for the department to get a broad variety of, of, of input from different people. Ask, the question is whether or not you've determined that there was nothing improper here. I just can't. <laughs> she did not say that, by the way. No, no, that was sort of <laughs> funny enough. We already for have her on the soundbar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh? I yeah. just can't. I just can't. So uh, nothing to see here. The State Department's totally protecting Hillary. Yeah. You got the you got Loretta Lynch protecting Hillary. Oh, you have the State God. Department protecting Hillary. By the yeah. way, uh, I mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, you know, I wanted to know what people thought. Uh, you know, why are you going for Hillary if you're a Hillary supporter? Why are you going for Trump if you're a Trump supporter? Producer Matt actually posted that question up in the uh, Unfiltered subreddit. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just skimming through some of the responses. Not a lot of responses, like, from pro-Trump or pro-Hillary. I mean, maybe one or two that are in there. But um, no one's really going in there and saying, I'm defending because of this. You know, it's just like, our, I think our audience is just too smart, <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to be honest. Very likely. Uh, so, you ready to shift gears to Trump's campaign this Let's week? Do it. Let's yes. do a little Trump coverage. Uh, coverage, and that would be. Uh, I want to start with what seems to be the most interesting story this week, and that is tying the guy that runs Trump's campaign to the big boogeyman. That's Russia. A report this morning links Donald Trump's campaign chairman to alleged corruption in Ukraine. Officials tell the New York Times that a pro-Russia political party set aside millions. Pro-Russia political party. Now, I can't confirm this, but I think that just simply means the party that was elected by the people of Ukraine who happened to have a rather okay stance towards Russia in undisclosed cash payments designated for Paul Manafort. Now, Manafort denies that he got any such payment. Our Major Garrett is looking at the newest headache. Look how happy Major is. Oh, Major. Major Major hates Trump so much. And uh, Major is here to fulfill what his entire life's purpose apparently has been. Our Major Garrett is looking at the newest headache for the Trump campaign. Major, good morning. No, there's no headaches for the Hillary campaign. (laughs) Good morning. Paul Manafort's ties to Viktor Yanukovych the pro-Russian former president of Ukraine are well documented, uh-huh. but new details about the amount of money designated for Manafort by Yanukovych's political allies are likely to amplify Donald Trump's claims he's facing media bias. You know, um, such an asshole because I wasn't going to do this, but just go look at the show notes. Just go look at the show notes to see how... Joe Biden's son is sitting at the top of an oil company the day after we toppled the Ukrainian government. That man, the vice president of the United States, his son is over there sitting on top of an oil company, raking in profits from all of this. And guess where they want to expand, Chase? Mm, Where's that? Eastern Ukraine, Chase. Oh, really? Exactly where the supposed conflict is. 
According to the New York Times, $12.7 million was earmarked for Paul Manafort by the pro-Russian political party of his main client. Show me the proof. Former Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych from 2007 to 2012. So Viktor Yanukovych, if you're not familiar with that name, uh, this is what's called the president of Ukraine, elected by the people that was toppled in a political revolution. So the, the entire framing of this piece is simply... The former legitimate president of Ukraine worked with a company that worked in the United States to promote their positions via, which is, I got to say, Chase, unfortunately, the reality, a lot of money comes into this political system from a lot of different interests, and they use the same system that everybody else used via this same political influence system where they go and they lobby. They hired lobbying groups. So here's, it's like three, it's three, three levels detached. The president works with a PR firm. The PR firm works with a firm in the United States, and that firm in the United States goes to work in Congress via the political process of lobbying to forward the agenda of the Ukrainian president. So it's about three companies removed. Now, because he was the Ukrainian president when we toppled that regime, they are therefore pro-Russian. Because before we came in, they were pro-Russian, and now, strangely enough, they're pro-European. <laughs> From 2007 to 2012. That's according to a so-called black ledger analyzed by Ukrainian anti-corruption investigators who believe it documents, quote, an illegal off-the-book system whose recipients also included election officials. So we have no actual official proof. What we have is a Ukrainian outlet saying that Ukrainian records show that off-the-book records indicate that this man received payments. This morning, Manafort issued a statement denying it. I have never received a single off-the-books cash payment as falsely reported by the New York Times. Now, that off-the-books phraseology, I believe, is critical. Nor have I ever done work for the governments of Ukraine or Russia. The suggestion that I accepted cash payments is unfounded, silly, and nonsensical. I'm of the uh, personal belief that all of the positioning that that Trump is pro-Russian and that the Trump campaign uh, softened the RNC's stance against Russia uh, and and that the, the Russians hacked the DNC are all standard talking points from the Hillary campaign. As Trump prepares to deliver a major speech on terrorism in Ohio today, the Clinton campaign called the news troubling, adding Trump has a responsibility to disclose Manafort's and all other campaign employees' ties to Russian or pro-Kremlin entities. It's almost like after years, well, a year, of badgering Trump about what his final ISIS strategy would be, when his campaign finally decided to hold a speech and go over what that ISIS campaign would be, it seems rather interesting that that's the day that the Hillary campaign, the Hillary, the Hillary campaign releases these, this, this statement and this information. It honestly, to me, feels like they're just simply trying to control the narrative on the day where Trump is finally responding to something they've been attacking him for over a year. I'm running against the crooked media. That's what I'm running against. Trump. The report provides more ammunition for Trump's ongoing clash with the New York Times. We have a newspaper... That's failing badly. A real garbage. They're garbage. It's a garbage paper. Maybe we'll start thinking about taking their press credentials away from them. Beyond the media bashing, Trump is setting up another excuse for losing voter fraud. The only way we can lose, in my opinion, I really mean this, Pennsylvania, is if cheating goes on. Isn't it interesting how they continually spin this towards Trump? Uh, Stops. 
They stop the they they do they they like continually like they'll break in the middle of an analysis and they'll spin it towards Trump. I this is this is really something. And uh, whenever there is a legitimate Trump story, they just go crazy. They can't help themselves. Oh yeah, like this seems to be potentially a legitimate Trump story, and this is something that we've been following. Donald Trump shaking up his campaign leadership team again for the second time in two months. Shaking up the leadership. That's the meme they want you to take. Shaking up the leadership. Now, do you think it's any coincidence that after these connections were made that all of a sudden Donald Trump, Donald Trump's main campaign guy is stepping aside? People want to criticize Donald Trump. Senior advisor Kelly Conway confirming that she has been promoted to campaign manager. And the executive chairman of Breitbart News, Steve Bannon, is now the campaign's chief executive. Not a bad lineup and probably better than the last guy. The campaign's embattled chairman, Paul Manafort, him, will stay on despite his relationship with Trump going sour in recent weeks. The campaign is doing really well. It's never been so well united. Trump is very plugged in. He's very connected. The campaign's working, contrary to what the media is saying. Manafort is under investigation by Ukrainian authorities for allegedly receiving millions in illegal payments from the country's former pro-Russian ruling party. There, there literally could not be a more illegitimate authority in the world to meet right now than the current Ukrainian government. <laughs> like when the Ukrainian government says something's the truth, like who the hell? Right. These people are a bunch of stooges. They were brought in at the last moment. They were set up by Victoria Newland. Who the hell are these people? And who the hell cares what they say? This is the second. Second major shakeup for Trump's team. Back in June, he fired Corey Lewandowski weeks before the Republican convention. He's a good man. We've had great success. He's a friend of mine. But I think it's time now for a different kind of a campaign. Yeah. A lot of changes for the Trump campaign. I mean, this is kind of a big change up less than three months out. I will give it that. Um, but you know what the real issue is with the Trump campaign? You know what the real problem is? What's and you know that? why we have these kinds of analysis? Mm. And you know why we don't have these kinds of analysis when it comes to Hillary Tell Clinton? Me, Chris. Oh, you know what it is, yeah, Jace. It's all about it. Report. So Green Party candidate Jill Stein has spent a lot more green on TV ads than Donald Trump. In fact, even Gary Johnson has spent more money on television advertising than Donald Trump. Wow. All the current presidential candidates have spent more. Trump has spent nothing on TV advertising. And this is fundamentally the problem. You see, kids, the issue is when you don't spend money on advertising, you don't get protection. When you're a pharmaceutical company, you get lots and lots of protection. And that protection arrives in the form of they simply don't talk about all of the horrible things you're doing. They don't talk about the lawsuits you're involved in. They don't talk about the indemnification lawsuits that happen where nobody ever, ever, ever is able to make the pharmaceutical companies responsible for something that's gone wrong. They don't talk about the kind of things that happen from those particular cases because, you know, God, that's a lot of money, guys. And there's other news stories out there they could cover. So why would we talk about this particular issue, which is going to affect our bottom line? It's going to cost us some money. It's going to make it harder for us to produce the quality content the audience wants. So we'll just focus on this other stuff. That's the same exact symptom that is happening in the Clinton versus Trump campaign. The Trump campaign is not paying for anything. They're not paying these people. They're not making these people money. So it costs them nothing to go after Trump. And it literally costs them revenue to go after Hillary. And this is the fundamental thing you have to understand when you look at the way the media is covering the two candidates. Has spent nothing on TV advertising. The Washington Post reports Stein has spent 180 
$9,000 on TV commercials. Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson has spent $15,000. Hillary Clinton has spent more than $52 million on TV ads. Oh, Holy crap. That is a lot. That is a lot. Wow. 52 million versus Trump's nothing. And I, I think there might be something there, Chase. Holy crap, Ola. Yeah. Man. You ready to end this thing on a high note? Let's end it on a high note. Let's get 200 out of here on the only way we knew how. And that is with a classic high note. And you guys all probably heard the news. We begin with a major setback Wait, today. Did they say for we'd support? begin? We'd begin. I don't, no, I, I know I don't think so. <laughs> We begin with a major setback today for supporters of legalized pot. After a long review, the Obama administration decided today that marijuana will remain what is called a Schedule I drug. Same as heroin, the category for the most dangerous drugs with no known medical application. But that puts the federal government in conflict with states that have already made pot legal, either for recreational or medicinal use. Oh. We have more now from Don Daler. Go, Don. Let's go, Don. Don. The Drug Enforcement Administration said marijuana has no currently accepted medical use and treatment in the United States. Fact. Chuck Rosenberg is acting administrator for the DEA. (laughs) It's not about danger. Oh. Stuff in Schedule 1 could be really dangerous. Uh Uh-huh. Or not as dangerous. Okay. It's whether or not it's a safe and effective medicine. Oh, so oh. so cannabis has no effectiveness. This decision keeps marijuana classified as a Schedule One drug, okay? Like heroin and sure. LSD. That makes sense. Something yeah. you grow in your backyard, yeah. Which means the federal government only approves of its use under strictly limited research conditions. Oh, well, that doesn't. And there's only one place that can do those research, and it's uh, with pot that was made from the 1970s. That is actually true. Which yeah. sounds like you're joking. But no, that's I'm act- not. It's actually true. You know, I can't even believe this. You know who else can't believe this? Uh. Your buddy. My good friend. Shit. Shit. Uh, reefer madness isn't really a thing anymore. Smoking weed has become a lot more acceptable over the years, except the feds still are not cool with it. And today they made a decision about the legality of marijuana in America. LSD, MDMA, plant that grows in the yard. <laughs> All one thing. That's next. <laughs> and it actually it's good the whole clip Thanks, is, the whole clip is really good you, but Shep, you I'll let you guys guy. watch that in the sink because uh, now this is uh, this is a story that tugs on the heart but tonight we're taking a closer look as the DEA says it will not push to reclassify marijuana what does that mean why won't they do it and why government policy on this issue is stunningly hypocritical this is a reality check you won't see anywhere else reality Well, last week, the DEA announced that it will not push to reschedule marijuana, more correctly called cannabis. So what is the DEA talking about when it says rescheduling? I like that Ben's a smoker. You can tell right there that Ben's a smoker because he calls it cannabis. Because people who have, like, researched marijuana, they understand that marijuana was actually a slang term that was created and brought into the regular parlance to associate it with Mexicans. And you see, there was a period of time, never the case anymore, of course, but there was a period of time where the United States citizens were racist against Mexicans. I know, it would never happen. And so because marijuana was a dirty Mexican word, you could use that term and associate the smoking of cannabis with those dirty fucking Mexicans. They like to rape white women. And so you call it marijuana to scare everybody. In reality, it's actually called cannabis. And people who have researched the topic, they understand the history of the term marijuana. It was created particularly to denigrate the Mexican people and to scare the stupid white people. And so by using the term marijuana, you're actually 
perpetrating this original sin. This week, the DEA announced that it will not push to reschedule marijuana, more correctly called cannabis. So what is the DEA talking about when it says rescheduling? Well, to understand that, first of all, you have to understand the drug schedule. The U.S. government uses a five-tier system for drug classification. A Schedule five drug would be a drug determined to have very little risk of abuse and very high medical use. Like aspirin, uh, what Ibuprofen. else? Cannabis. An example of a Schedule five drug would be cough medicine like Robitussin AC. Cannabis right now is a Schedule One drug. That means it has no accepted medical use and has a high risk of abuse. Hey, Chris, uh, where's alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> alcohol is too busy writing a check right now. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. So cannabis, it remains scheduled the same way as a deadly drug like heroin. Now, the hope was that cannabis would at least, at the very least, be rescheduled as a Schedule Two drug. And the fact that it wasn't? It's sort of embarrassing because it shows how out of touch and out of step the DA is not just with general American opinion, but with actual scientific understanding of how things and 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 things like like cannabis actually interact with the human body. And you see, this is a particularly important part to understand, because if they fail to understand that particular key thing, then they have no business saying what type of classification it is. So it's a real particular problem there because you got states that are legalizing it, you got countries that are legalizing it, you got obvious obvious medical uses for it that this clip's about to get into. Yeah. And when the DAA when the DEA fails to acknowledge any of those, they essentially veto any legitimacy they might have as an agency. And that's really the embarrassing thing. It would at least, at the very least, be rescheduled as a Schedule II drug. These drugs still have high risk of abuse. Drugs like oxycodone, those are Schedule II drugs. And yet the DEA claims that cannabis is more dangerous and of less value. We saw just instantly a huge difference in the light behind his eyes, his awareness of what, what else was in the room. And the clip goes on to talk about how uh, cannabis can be very, 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 very effective for different medical conditions. And I think yeah. we don't really need to bang that drum too hard because you guys are aware of that. And really what we got to do before we get out of here, yes, we got to stop talking about the high note. We got to take a moment to embarrass ourselves. Ah, yes. I well, did, I did say this would happen. There's 200 weeks of incredible content yeah. to choose from. Yeah. I'm quite interested to what was picked yeah. out of that 200. How, how do, how, we got to break ourselves down. Right. We got we to analyze Chase and Chris in the media. But before we do that, I just want to mention in the show notes, we will have linked. You ready for this, Chase? $19.50, an unfiltered 200 poster. This is a killer poster. You could make it $19.33, really? You'd have to You'd have to probably talk to the boss lady. Really? She's she's hip to... Uh, Ange, if you're listening, 33 cents. That'd be on. good. Yeah, yeah that'd be good. good. I, think it, I think it literally came down to like we make $1.50 right now. Okay. <laughs> but this is an unfiltered 200 poster, 28 wow, by 30. Wow, poster. That's awesome. It's super awesome. And the, uh, the it's a word cloud that puts together all of the topics we talk about to form the 200. Oh. Oh, that's so cool. I'll, I will have a limited time link in the show notes. Thank you to producer Matt and Pierce for yes, putting this together. Absolutely. That, that is our, great. our unfiltered 200 poster to celebrate our 200th episode. Now, also to celebrate our 200th episode, buyer beware. 
Mr. Chase Nunes is here to warn you about a potential scam. Trade Commission is warning owners of Volkswagen oh, diesel cars not to be misled by bogus offers to buy back your vehicle. Now, you guys probably know if you've been watching the show for a while that Chase is a proud or was a proud VW diesel owner. I'm still an owner. I'm not proud. But. Problem solver Connie Thompson says investigators are also putting car dealers on notice. Yes, they are. This is something a lot of people have been paying attention to, especially since everything broke out. The message to certain dealers, lay off the deceptive purchase offers. What? This involves half a million V-Dub and Audi models sold with fake emission results. Volkswagen announced earlier this summer it will buy back the cars for potentially thousands more than replacement value, but other car buyers are jumping the gun. Now, uh, there's only one man. <laughs> there's only one man. Oh, man. In the Pacific Northwest. Only one. That can help us break down this story. It's great. It's fun to drive. It really pisses me off what they did, though. Chase Nunes is still fuming about the diesel emission nice scandal. Words there, the value. You see how they show your tailpipe when they're talking. I was about- there for all the yeah, shooting. Yeah, yeah, his sure. VW- By the way, full disclosure: they were there for forty-five minutes. We were talking. You know, we were hanging out, and they were doing all the shots. And forty-five minutes to make a two-minute package. Jetta yeah, Sport wagon dropped like a rock thanks to the emissions bypass investigation. Now, is that a GoPro they use? There? Yes, they, they mounted so they're, it. They're using a GoPro to do these clips. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. Does yeah. it ever? Does it ever strike you that the mainstream media is literally? Using the same exact equipment that you and I use to do our shows, like that's weird, man. So this is this is you. You can see the doors open because Connie's probably been talking to you or something like that. Right. And uh, they're just like, do they just tell you sit there and think about stuff? Like, oh yeah, yeah. You'll see. Yeah. yeah. They sold me a premium car, uh, and it wasn't what they uh, you know what they offered essentially. He plans to sell his car back to Volkswagen as part of the ten billion dollar buyback settlement announced in June. He originally By the way, look, at that. look how short Connie. Is. I know. She, yeah, she's she's, a, she's awesome though. She's yeah. so cool. Pay twenty three thousand dollars cash. I'm going to get fifteen thousand right now. That's based upon my estimate of mileage and the year of the car. The settlement isn't final, but Chase is already getting unsolicited offers to buy his car for cash. So I've been getting postcards in the mail from dealers that want me to bring my car in because they, they really want to buy it from me. He throws the cards away. That was a really smart move. Good job, Chase. Thanks, Connie. Now, what I like, this is a brilliant, brilliant piece of production. That is, so when Connie was here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this in a minute, but, but this is, this shot right here is, is straight up like ABC News quality, like national. To, for her to do this particular wrap-up after the VO with a shot through your driver's window. Oh, oh this is not my car. No. That looks like a Volkswagen. You know, uh, so, so, so she talked to a second person that afternoon. Same, they had the same kind of car as I did, yeah. believe it or not. But this is not my car. So this is B-roll. So, God, it's so great how they edit this together. Wait. That was a really smart move. Federal investigators say the people offering to buy these diesels are not a part of the official settlement. It's very visually interesting. It's a great, great piece. Yeah. So their offer may be a lot less than what your car is really worth. If yours is one of the half million models affected by the emissions dupe, see, different, make sh- see different car. That is not. That's not your car. That's sure, right. you know the facts. You can get the basic idea of your car's value on the diesel settlement website. Your car, first of all, is cleaner. 
<laughs> and a better color. Yeah. They're just trying to get the cars from you so they in turn can take those cars and get buyback funds from Volkswagen. Also, keep in mind, See, to get money for your car, it must be safe and drivable. Now, here's the, here's the ironic thing. This guy's got a Bernie sticker on the yeah, back of his car, Yeah, it kind of makes right? it look like your car has a Bernie sticker right, on the back yeah, of it. Yeah, and, but if you looked closely, you know it's not the same license plate. You don't have the 206. Right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I knew it wasn't your car, but it does. But, but if someone just watching casual be like, oh, Chase is a Bernie supporter. It infers that. Yeah. yeah. Reason Chase now drives his VW diesel as little as possible. He's concerned a crash could make his already devalued car worth even less. By the way, you know how many times they had me circle the lot? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, like a right. bunch? Yeah, yeah, like about six or seven times. <laughs> Gotta get it just also, right. keep in mind, you can use your buyback money for anything you want. You don't have to apply it to a new VW or Audi, and you don't have to take any action right away. So that was interesting. Yes. And so for the sake of completion, for episode 200, yes. I felt like it'd only be fair to break down my my same media appearance. Yes! So here we go. That's hey. my turn. Hi, Bill. <laughs> Digital payment pal, PayPal. Digital payment giant PayPal okay, right. is backing off a controversial up, <laughs> plan that triggered a furious backlash this week. Problem solver Connie Thompson says if you have a PayPal account, it looks like you can stop worrying about losing more of your privacy now, Connie. Yeah. It was kind of interesting about this one is this particular problem was already solved before Connie went on the air. Right. So she kind of had to retcon this report. Yes, and, I and also, full disclosure, I'm the one that got Bill. I mean, Chris. Yeah, Bill. Which is funny because Bill's my dad's yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Connie was looking for uh, people that use PayPal and mm-hmm. were affected. And I'm like, I know the perfect person. Yeah. And that's how Connie got to know Chris. It is funny they call me Bill, which sort of at the same time explains everything about the media. Like, just the little details. Yeah. My social network friends, Mary and Eric, this is the power of the internet feedback at its best. <laughs> it seems PayPal wanted a free pass to robocall and robotext you at will starting July 1st. And you can imagine, as somebody who's on air... I got really pissed off that I started getting text messages from frickin' PayPal. Dan, you would have no choice. We'll go out there, we'll talk about this in our shows, and we'll advise people. The firestorm over PayPal's new service terms raged through cyberspace clearly faster than even PayPal could have predicted. Now, what's funny about that clip right there is, uh, so... uh, this was right before TechSnap, and Connie, particularly, look how you can tell again, see how yeah. short she is yeah. compared to me, right? <laughs> like that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she made me hold my phone while I talked about this. That was one of the things they wanted me to do. Is they wanted me holding my phone as if it was, as if I was so connected that I always had my phone in my hand. Wow, which I thought was kind of funny because like. This is not about really that. New service terms raged through cyberspace clearly faster than even PayPal could have predicted. As part of its split this year from eBay, PayPal updated its terms of service agreement, that mountain of fine print few customers rarely read. The new service term said PayPal could contact you using auto-dialed or pre-recorded calls and text messages. PayPal could also share any of your phone numbers with affiliates for collections, promotions, surveys, and more. And when you're contacted, you'd have to pay any charges that apply. To get text messages costs me money directly, every single text message that I get. Local internet broadcaster Chris Fisher and his thousands of international podcast followers. Wait, what happened to Bill? Oh, that was on the very first clip. Uh, and uh, I told Connie oh, about right. it, and she she corrected. So on the broadcast version, it was Bill Fisher, right? But on the internet oh. version, it's Chris Fisher. No, no, well, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. So they did a piece at four o'clock, 
Yeah. That, and so that's from the studio yeah, and yeah. stuff. And I told Connie right when it aired, I said, hey, Connie, it's Chris, yeah. not Bill. They had the lower thirds corrected for yeah. the 6 p.m. showing. You know what's awesome? Check that out. In the chat room shot right there, you can see Token Ring talking. And look, right now, watching live, freaking Token Ring. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> also, J-Bot and uh, Post Sniffer and Strengths. Uh, and JB Live 05, also uh, now TV famous uh, in this report from, from last year. National podcast followers join the cyber backlash tsunami. It's very intrusive because a text message doesn't care if I'm busy, doesn't care if I'm recording a show or if I'm having time with my family. A text message is an interruption. As someone who relies on PayPal, both for audience donations and to get paid by his advertisers. For a limited time, you'll get a $50 service credit off your first Ting device. Fisher was not pleased to about being forced to agree to a plan that gives him no way to say no. I got to give them credit. So this shot and stuff like this, this was this was Connie. So we did the initial interview and then and then Connie and her camera person wanted to hang out during tech snap. Yeah. Their camera like barely fit. In oh, this it's, room. it's broadcast camera. It's, yeah, it's huge. huge. Yeah. yeah. So like while I'm doing the show. Uh, the camera person was watching Wirecast, yeah. and they would they would take note of when I was on Alan's shot or on my computer screen, and they that's when she would walk in. She would she would wait. She would wait till I was on that shot. She would walk in front of my she's, camera. She's smart. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. At the same time, Connie is recording the whole thing on her phone. Like yeah. she's tweeting the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was particularly interesting. They're looking for the right shots to get way to say no. Initially, customers who complained say PayPal's response was that the only option for avoiding the robocall and robotext was to cancel their account. Well, after all the uproar, PayPal says the section about how it can contact its customers has caused some confusion. PayPal now says <laughs> the fault. latest section about contact methods is not new, and customers can opt out of receiving auto-dialed or pre-recorded calls. You know, it's fun. Because that was like a year ago, yeah. and then yours just happened like in the last week. Yeah, last it's fun week. to look back at both of those and sort of break it, break it, break it down. Different studio for them, all that stuff. Oh yeah, even when it happens to us, your unfiltered show breaks it down. That's right. <laughs> Unfilter is here every single week, telling you about all of the news that actually matters. Now for 200 weeks, we'd appreciate your support at Patreon.com/slash/Unfilter. Don't go anywhere though. The overtime is coming up. Okay. Big overtime, Chase. I won't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere, Chase. In the meantime... I might go away for a while, but I'll come back at the end. Say I made the absolute irrational decision to end the show right now because I'd gotten the essentials and I wanted to move on, but I was like, shit, you know, it's been two days later. I don't have enough Chase in my life. Right. I need to consume more Chase. Where would I go? Uh, Chase.football. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, follow me on the Twitters at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. A lot of big things uh, spinning up mm. for PAX here oh, in a yeah, couple yeah, yeah. weeks. Yeah, man. We're having our first planning meeting on Sunday. It's going to be a, a great time, so be following me there. Uh, going to be doing some giveaways, too, giving away a copy of Minecraft on Twitter, too. Nice, dude. What about you? Where can people, mm. if they want more Chris mm. in their face, yeah. where can they go? I would recommend at Chris LAS and at Jupiter Signal. I... I would say there may be something new launching from the Jupiter Broadcast Network in the distant future. What? And, what, like uh, in, a, in a galaxy or yeah. something? And if you followed me at Chris Elias, you would find out about a new thing if there was a new thing. Huh. Yeah. You could also contribute to the show. Nice. Give us your feedback, stories you think we should talk about. If there was something we didn't mention and you're like, guys, what the hell? Yeah. Unfiltered.reddit.com. That's where you go to submit that particular bad mamma jamma. You could also give us your feedback if you're a Club 33 member on the Patreon page. We'll read that in next Fill week's episode. Fill my sack. <laughs> yeah. Also, 
why not join us live? JBLive.tv. Watch the Unfiltered Show. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Get converted to your local time zone. We'd love to have you here live watching it because there's nothing like the Unfiltered Raw experience, Chase. No, no. You need to have it raw if you you're going to have plug. it at all. Patreon.com slash Unfiltered for the full live experience. You guys, If you you don't even have to be a member. Patreon.com slash Unfiltered. You want the whole show? You get it over there. Yes. Yeah, buddy. That's right. Rah! Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfiltered. And you know what? We're going to see you right back here next, next week. week. 200! Woo! I can't believe it! <laughs> Episode 200 Overtime has finally arrived. We have a heck of an overtime for you. A special thank you to our new patrons for episode 200. Shout out to Kenny, Andreas, Austin, Luigi, Tom, Gaius, which is a badass name. Is that really your name, dude? And Timothy, our new patrons as of episode 199, coming on board for episode 200 to celebrate our 200th birthday. If you'd like to celebrate our 200th birthday, you can help us out at patreon.com slash unfiltered. This show's powered by you, not by outside influences. And if you think about it, for the kind of things we cover, sort of a big deal. Overtime! OMG, OMG, OMG. Okay. So this overtime segment, as all, dedicated to our patrons, new and those of you who've been with us for a long time, there is a meme going around the interwebs about CNN. Everybody loves to call it the Clinton News Network. I think we've dropped that joke here once or twice on the show before. I have a compilation that uh, you may or may not have seen online this week of CNN accidentally having technical troubles every time a guest starts or even an anchor starts to say something somewhat negative against the dog. Now, I think some of these are legit technical issues, and at first, it definitely comes across that way. But then, as it goes on, you, you, you do kind of have to start to wonder a little bit if maybe there is something more going on here. But largely Hillary Clinton's comments here today, John, were based around the recent violence that we have seen. The police-involved shootings of black men in Minnesota, in Louisiana, and then the killing of white police officers by a black gunman in Dallas. That was really uh, what she based her comments on around today. And remember, Hillary Clinton has some vulnerabilities herself, even as she calls for criminal justice reform because of her support in the 1990s for anti-crime legislation that ultimately helped contribute to this era of mass incarceration that she now uh, speaks out uh, again. Uh -oh. uh, we just lost, uh, we just lost Brianna Keeler. With some Trump supporters, um, let's play what they said. They've been duking people like that. They come out of, out from under the rocks all the time around this time this year. It got nothing to do with Donald Trump. We all Americans. I think we need to stop with all the racist stuff and the race being. This is one of my favorite. This is uh, this is a black man at a Trump event on MSNBC. The anchor ain't gonna be having any of this. Like me and my friend right here, we just met today. We was talking. You know, we gotta stop with the racist stuff and and this that. We all Americans, man. And nobody paying David Duke no mind. 
Um, clearly, <laughs> let, let me just yeah. be clear here. Oh, yeah. Obviously, the majority of Donald Trump supporters are not African-American. I don't know yeah. how many African-Americans were in that that building, but that is one uh, person that uh, we have chosen to cut that sound from. Uh. Now, uh, obviously, the editor here has inserted the fake cut noise, but those cuts... Those dropouts, I can confirm I've actually witnessed some of those. The whole clip's in the overtime if you do want to watch it. It goes on for a few more minutes, and they do start to get more and more egregious as time goes on. It's kind of funny. But I can tell that you're not into it, so I'm going to move on to something that I noticed. A trend this week. A couple of big names coming out trying to scare us about what the next president of the United States of America has to worry about. In our special series, we've been hearing from experts about the critical issues that the next president will face the moment he or she takes the oath. Tonight, Margaret Brennan is with retired general and former CIA director David Petraeus talking about the dangers of Iraq <clears throat> on day one. What concerns you the most about Iraq right now? What keeps you up at Iraqi night? politics. Uh, we'll defeat the Islamic State. That's going to happen. It's just a question of how long it takes. I was surprised to see David Petraeus uh, back in the public uh, light as well. Uh, it seemed that he was set up quite some time ago to avoid the entire 2016 election cycle, which so far he seemed to have learned his lesson and was staying out of. And yet here we are. Mr. Petraeus is all of a sudden getting interviewed by the CIA's favorite news networks. Uh, we'll defeat the Islamic State. That's going to happen. It's just a question of how long it takes. But it's Iraqi politics that have to become more inclusive if you're to cement the gains on the battlefield and to bring the Sunni Arabs back into the fabric of Iraqi society, which is critical to the way forward for that country. Three states. When the next president takes office, what's the best case scenario that he or she will face in Iraq? The best case scenario uh, would be one in which the Islamic State has been defeated on the battlefield. Yeah, right. And its terrorist cells have been reduced dramatically. And even the residual guerrillas insurgents uh, are on the run. You know, what's fascinating about that entire thing, let's go back, uh, because in the overtime, we like to break down the media a little more. We like to take a little bit extra time. So uh, for those of you, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not speaking down to you because I'm sure most of you, if you, if you probably know this already, uh, but I just thought I'd point out a little production trick they've done here. There is a moment where they switch to her camera while he's still talking. And if you listen, you can audibly hear an edit. And the, and the audio changes slightly, almost as if he's using a different mic, like he came back and re-answered the question. And they stay on her the entire time. Now, the way they do this is before, during, and after the interview, it kind of depends on the production, they have each participant sit there and sort of nod as if they're listening, which they can go to at any time to cover up a cut. So if you're going to cut away from David Petraeus, you go to some of the prepared footage you have of her listening. Or if you wanted to cut her question or the, her dialogue a little short, you could go to the shot of David Petraeus listening and then edit her dialogue much more neatly without it having been jumpy. So I want you to watch this because this is an extremely important interview. And editing what these people say is, is inexcusable. When the next president takes office, what's the best case scenario that he or she will face in Iraq? The best case scenario uh, would be one in which the Islamic State has been defeated on the battlefield and its terrorist cells have been reduced dramatically and even... Right there. Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you hear it? It just happened. 
terrorist cells have been reduced dramatically, and even the residual guerrillas insurgents uh, are on the run. And I don't know if you can tell, you might have to be listening to headphones, but uh, it, he's almost, it almost sounds like he's using a different microphone on this shot. There, it's hollower. It doesn't sound quite as good. And its terrorist cells have been reduced dramatically, and even the residual guerrillas insurgents uh, are on the run. Then, most importantly... The second edit there. So, okay, that caught my attention at first. I thought, okay, this seems... There's some interesting messaging going on here. It's being heavily edited to get the point across. Then this one caught my attention. Robert Gates comes out of the woodwork. Donald Trump said this week that he would create a coalition with Russia to defeat ISIS. He also said he wants to shift NATO's focus away from countering Russia, and he called President Vladimir Putin a strong leader. Hillary Clinton has called Putin a bully, and she has vowed to stop Moscow's meddling in Ukraine and Syria by punishing <laughs> Russia with more financial sanctions. Oh, yeah. We asked former defense secretary... Can you guys... I mean, I know I've made this point before, but I mean, we are truly at an interesting point in the election process for the U.S. because in our current 2016 election, although we're not openly admitting it, the Democrats have become the hawk party. They're the war hawks. They're the ones proposing that we treat Russia's aggressions with more sanctions. They're the ones calling Putin a bully. Now imagine the kind of response that would happen if another leader of another country called Obama a bully. He'd be denounced on CNN or she. They would be ridiculed. They'd be treated like North Korea. But when Hillary calls Putin a bully, a legitimate world power with nukes and a whole lot of interest in the energy market and obviously a, a long time on and off rival, when she antagonizes with that kind of rhetoric, it's totally acceptable, totally fine. And in fact, the implied message here is that Donald Trump's the one a little off his rocker. But the incredible thing is, in this particular case, the Republican is pro-peace, pro-democracy, pro-let's-have-a-conversation, the kind of shit that Obama ran on when he was going up against Bush. And now Trump is that guy, and Hillary, the Democratic candidate, is the war candidate. It is a total flip-flop. By punishing Russia with more financial sanctions. We asked former Defense Secretary Robert Gates what the next president faces from that Russian leader. Here we go. I think... I think Putin is one of these uh, leaders who will push forward as long as there's no significant resistance. But he's not suicidal. He's not delusional. He's not crazy. He's, he's a very calculating person who is playing a very poor hand with great skill. But wouldn't that be exactly the same description of Angela Merkel? Isn't that exactly how you would describe President Assad? Isn't that exactly how you would describe, describe President Obama? In all of those situations, Obama, when he came into office, was dealt a bad hand. It was, the worst, it was the worst economy since the Great Depression. Our reputation around the world was tarnished. Obama was dealt a bad hand when he came into office, and he made the best. He's not crazy. He made calculated decisions. That description would literally match any world leader politician type person. Is Putin gaining influence? I think that Putin certainly has reasserted Russia's role. It's pretty clear that any negotiation on Syria, if there ever is one, Russia will be at the table and, based on the way things are right now, probably in the chair. 
I would say what Russia has done is Russia has taken all of the shit mistakes we've made. It starts really with Snowden, doesn't it? All this stuff with Russia has been brewing for, for about a decade. But it really hit overdrive when Snowden fled to Russia, didn't it? And it's been one mishandled mistake afterwards. And then there's the whole situation with ISIS. He goes on. On day one, what does the next president encounter? The next president. The same question. Now, Secretary Gates, of course, would have some insight on this. president needs to begin with what is Putin trying to do. Putin is trying to reassert Russia as a great power player. He just said he'd already done that. In the world. If he can do it politically, he will. If he needs to do it militarily, he will. But I think first the president is going to have to make clear that the United States won't be pushed around by this guy. You see the risk of military confrontation. So apparently Crimea succeeding and rejoining Russia is is the aggression. I'm not quite sure. What is the aggression? Is it is it that or is it is it really what they're pissed about? is that Russia and now their new allies are bombing our guys in Syria. It's going to have to make clear that the United States won't be pushed around by this guy. You see the risk of military confrontation. The risk is the same as it was during the Cold War in this specific respect of a miscalculation or an accident or a mistake that somebody makes that escalates the situation. Oh, okay. Those particular interviews sort of caught my attention this week. Like, what are they messaging there? But uh, it seemed to me there so was a subliminal messaging there for Hillary. Because if Trump is the pro-Putin candidate and Hillary is the anti-Putin candidate and Putin is the number one threat that is facing the next president then by your own logical conclusion, the viewer at home, you conclude, well, Trump is weak on foreign policy. Trump isn't making the right national security decisions. That at least is what they want you to conclude. And they want you to conclude that Hillary, because of her experience and her knowledge of the world, understands the threat that Putin really is. Just like Secretary Gates, just like Petraeus, who are experts. That's the genius of it. So did you uh, hear Bill say that uh, the problem is, is not that Hillary had markings removed from emails, not that she put the national security at risk so that way she could have her own political island in her email server. No, 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 that's not the problem. The problem is you just too dumb to understand it. Just ask Billy Bear. The other thing, all the other emails that people later said after the fact People. should have been classified. The only ones that they have acknowledged are email change dealing with drone program. The State Department and the security agencies have different classification systems. True. These things were never resolved. Now, they're too complicated to explain to people. Oh, it's too complicated. Hold on. Let's let's back that up because that's the key part right there. Hold on a second. And the security agencies have different classification systems. These things were never resolved. Now, it's too complicated to explain to people. Oh, so here's actually a really simple explanation. If either one of the agencies marked it as classified, you don't put you don't pass it on. 
to a private email system. That's it right there. That's legitimately as simple as it is. If either agency marks it as classified, it doesn't leave the classified system. Straight up. <laughs> He's totally lying right there. But his, his implication is you're just too dumb to understand it. You're too dumb. Here's a quick, uh, deeper, well, not quick, but here's a deeper look into Hillary's taxes, speaking of the dog and the bill. And as Hillary Clinton tries to persuade the American public she is not part of the Wall Street establishment, her newly released tax returns are painting a different picture. One America's Rachel Roboto shows us how much she made from Wall Street's big banks and the big check she wrote for the Clinton Foundation. Hillary Clinton releases her tax returns to the American public. But for some reason, the numbers don't add up. According to the 2015 return, Bill and Hillary earned a yearly total of $10.6 million, much less than the $28 million the couple made in 2014 and 2013. The Clintons accumulated the majority of their 2015 earnings through paid public speeches, while also bringing in another $3 million from Hillary's book royalties. From 2013 to 2015, Clinton delivered a total of 92 speeches at the flat rate of $225,000 per speech, earning her $21.6 million over the two-year span. During those two years, Hillary delivered a total of eight speeches to big banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Bank of America, netting an income of $1.8 million. Those speeches came up earlier in the primaries after Bernie Sanders called on Hillary to release the speech transcripts. In addition to that, Secretary Clinton, as you know, has given a number of speeches behind closed doors to powerful Wall Street institutions for $225,000 a speech. Now, what I have said is that if you're going to give a speech and get paid 225000 bucks. it must be an extraordinarily brilliant speech. However, new reports indicate Hillary may have been getting paid for more than just her speeches. Oh. In fact, 82 corporations, trade associations, and other groups that paid for Hillary's speeches have lobbied Congress for new legislation, bid on federal contracts, and even contacted the State Department oh. while Hillary Clinton served as Secretary of State. What? For instance, Clinton earned $1.6 million from speeches she gave to Canadian banks, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, and to TD Bank in 2014 and early 2015. Both foreign banks have financial ties to TransCanada Corporation, the company behind the controversial Keystone XL pipeline. When Hillary Clinton delivered the speeches in January of 2015, she supported the development of the pipeline. Do you remember when the State Department released a report saying there would be no environmental impact of the Keystone XL pipeline? Who was running the State Department at that time? But in September of that same year, well into her presidential campaign, she flip-flopped her stance after she was criticized from several environmentalist groups. I think it is imperative that we look at the Keystone Pipeline as what I believe it is, a distraction from the important work we have to do to combat climate change, and unfortunately, from my perspective, one that interferes with our ability to move forward to deal with all the other issues. Therefore, I uh-huh. oppose it. Yeah, of course. Now, what, that was, what you were witnessing there is you were, you were witnessing a, a human being 
willfully manipulate the fears of her voter base of climate change, people who are who are genuinely concerned that we are destroying the earth for future generations. And she is manipulating their feelings to tell them, don't pay attention to this. However, this wasn't a lone incident. In 2014, Hillary Clinton earned nearly $3 million in paid speeches from trade companies who were lobbying for the Trade Promotion Authority in a bid to fast-track approval of the TPP. However, the Democratic nominee who supported Obama's push for the TPP says she no longer backs the deal after it was widely scrutinized for sending more American jobs overseas. Her inconsistencies on these political issues have raised questions from analysts as to whether Hillary will stick to her promises she made to the American public or remain loyal to the companies who paid her money. Even further, Hillary Clinton continues to dodge questions about whether or not these corporations and groups have influenced federal policies by paying her for speeches. You know, Arch Linux Russian in the chat room says that she's such a nationalist. And God, I wish that was true. (laughs) She's not a nationalist. She's a corporatist. See, if you if you watch the Clinton uh, or read uh, the Clinton money documentation, whatever it's called, Clinton cash, um, you realize that she will change any position at all. Anything. There is nothing that is off limits as long as you pay her. She has no national patriotism. She has no empire hopes and aspirations. She simply just takes money and I, I and then does their bidding. And I've, I've thought about this and I've thought, what is her end game? Why would the Clintons do this? And I think you have to go back into history a little bit to understand that there have been historically family oligarchies in the United States that have had an incredible power. And we, we, we get wafts of them with the Bushes. And there's others that we don't hear. Um, a lot of them are in politics. But I believe Bill and Hillary intend for the Clinton family in one generation to go from nothing to one of the most – well, it already have. It already has happened. But I want – I believe that their intention is for the Clintons to go from nothing to one of the most powerful family names in the world in their lifetimes. And I believe their intention by both of them having presidential legacies is for their family and, and their children from there on out to be set up for generations, which – Essentially, they've already accomplished. I, I, that, to me, is the only end goal that, uh, that I can seem to reason for uh, Hillary and Bill. Although Hillary's paid speeches are not the only interesting discovery in her tax returns. In the returns, it lists the two charities the Clintons donated to. One million went to the Clinton Foundation and 42,000 went to the Desert Classic Charities. This comes as the Department of Justice denied to investigate the Clinton Foundation after the FBI recommended a probe into corruption allegations. Newly released emails revealed numerous wealthy Clinton Foundation donors received favors from Clinton and her aides while she served as Secretary of State, a direct violation of the ethics agreement Clinton signed before she was appointed to the position. It was also discovered by fact-check investigation only 10 percent of the donations went towards charity in 2013, the same year the Clintons pulled in $28 million. This, despite the foundation's claims, it spends nearly 90% of its profits on charitable giving. Less of a coincidence, the second charity the Clintons donated to is directly linked to the Clinton Foundation. Every year, Desert Classic Charities hosts an annual golf tournament with the Clinton Foundation and has raised thousands of dollars for the foundation. More interestingly, the Desert Classic Charities was founded by now Clinton Foundation official Doug Band. In 2009, Band reached out to Hillary's aides to try and pull a favor for million-dollar Clinton Foundation donor 
Gilbert Chagri. This information is revealed as several Republican lawmakers and even Donald Trump accused the Clinton Foundation of acting as a pay-to-play organization, which has been governing under a cloak of philanthropy for years. Rachel Roboto, One America News. Yeah, pretty good summary there, isn't it? We got just a few more dog clips to follow up on. Um, I didn't know how to fit this into the show, and I actually think it might. I, I, I think that's probably one of the clips that, if I knew how to cut it down just right and present it in the show, it absolutely would be a main show contender. Pay for play. Call pay for. You're not allowed to do it. It's illegal. It's illegal. And I would imagine other things are going to be coming down the pike. This is not a typical money in politics story. We're used to Wall Street, oil companies, etc., giving donations to politicians, getting access. But federal law prevents foreign businessmen and governments from doing so. The Clinton Foundation is a gateway around that. The State Department is not aware of any actions that were influenced by the Clinton Foundation. Well, this story continues to percolate uh, the Clinton Foundation and the interaction with Secretary Clinton's State Department. Uh, we showed you those emails from Judicial Watch yesterday. Today, we're learning that the Department of Justice turned down an FBI request to continue or expand the, the investigation into the Clinton Foundation. And we're learning from a report about Cheryl Mills, Hillary Clinton's uh, chief of staff at the time, and what she did as in that job uh, cnn's reporting on june 19th uh, 2012 mills then chief of staff for clinton at the state department boarded a new york city bound amtrak train in washington's union station the next morning at the offices of a new york-based executive firm uh, mills would interview two high-level business executives her mission was to help the clinton foundation find a new leader nothing Brian to see here Fallon with the clinton campaign uh, i don't want to hear from him but the clip is in, as always, the sink if you want it, which I hope to re... I, you know, I'm watching other projects to see how to replace that. Libre Vault's on my short list, but it's early days still. So you guys probably heard this story and wondered why we didn't make it in the show, so let me do a little make good right now. Hillary Clinton's email controversy, once again, back in the spotlight today. The FBI sending its classified investigative report into Clinton's private email server including notes wow. of their three-hour interview with Clinton to members of Congress, explaining why she wasn't charged in the investigation. All right, can we just take a second here? And uh, so that is the famous Gaddafi. For those of you listening, this is a clip Hillary is reading on her BlackBerry about the news that could, I, I think this is during the time of Gaddafi. Uh, and for those of you on the video, uh, let's, let's, let's analyze for a moment uh, watch how Uma Abedin just, without even watching, grabs the phone from Hillary in what I think is such a brilliant display of how long they've been obviously working together, how they understand each other. Watch how she hands off this BlackBerry. It's, why am I talking about this? Well, if you're watching the video version, you'll see why. It, it shows a very interesting sort of um, unspoken language between these two people. With Clinton to members of Congress, explaining why she wasn't charged in the investigation. Uma didn't even look. She just, she knew, she wasn't even looking at Hillary. 
but she knows Hillary and her her motions and her personality so well that she just reaches out without even looking, grabs Hillary's BlackBerry and takes it. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us two very interesting things, I think. Number one, it tells us that the people that Hillary works with are very, very tight with her. The other thing that tells us, if there were classified communications in that email, Uma was often in possession of the BlackBerry that contained those very emails. And you have to ask yourself, you have to ask yourself if that is responsible handling of classified information. Wasn't charged in the investigation. Lawmakers were only allowed to review the material in a secure room and are forbidden from publicly discussing their contents. Clinton's top aides crying foul. Yeah, that is odd. They go into the secret room. They can't uh, They can't talk about the contents. And, of course, Clinton campaign says, hey, just do the whole thing, release it so we can get it out there and we can deal with it. One more, uh, actually two more, because we got to get to the Soros thing, too. A U.S. sailor who pleaded guilty to taking classified photos is using Secretary Hillary Clinton as a defense. Petty Officer First Class Christian Saucier pleaded guilty to using a cell phone to take photos in the classified engine room of a nuclear submarine. Okay. Saucier faces up to 10 years in prison, sure. but his lawyer says Saucier should not go to prison. Why? Why? Yeah. Because Secretary Hillary Clinton had 110 classified emails on her private server, but did not face any charges. Oh, it's the Clinton defense. It's the Clinton defense. I, I, I'm going to see if I can follow that to see where the hell that goes. Uh, but here's the email I've actually been building. Or email. <laughs> wow, what's that tell you? Huh? That's been on the brain. Uh, Papa Bear stops by with a clip that's interesting enough that I think it deserves a little play here. Honestly, I, I know I may have already hit this point too much, but nobody talked about the Soros leaks in the mainstream media. It was an epidemic of unbelievable proportions uh, nobody was talking about it except for papa bear i want you to understand that both producer and i producer matt and i spent many 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 times searching through all of our different media collection techniques many many attempts to find anything in the western media that talked about the soros leaks that wasn't the clips that we have because Nobody's doing it. I don't know why Papa Bear's doing it, but nobody else is. Soros, the Democratic Party, and Hillary Clinton. That is the subject of this evening's Talking Points memo. I guess um, not many people are willing to go up against Soros, perhaps. As you may know, the 85-year-old billionaire is a far-left fanatic whose open society organization advocates no borders anywhere in the world. According to Soros, everyone should be able to go wherever they want for any reason and stay there. Recently, hackers believed to be backed by Russia exposed more than 2,000 documents connected to Soros and his open society. The information very disturbing. Soros has given about $10 million to groups opposed to the policies of Israel. He has funded individuals accusing Israel of war crimes. He has given a variety of grants to people who literally hate the Jewish state of Israel. In addition, Soros has funded investigations of individuals here in the USA who are opposed to radical Islam. People like Pamela Geller, Frank Gaffney, Liz Cheney, and Cliff May. Mr. May will be here in just a few moments. Finally, George Soros has donated about $13 million to the Democrats this election cycle. That includes $7 million to a Hillary Clinton super PAC. Twelve years ago, 
Here's what Mrs. Clinton said about George Soros. We have been given an extraordinary blessing. And at this moment in time, our country needs us. And we need people like George Soros, who is fearless and willing to step up when it counts. Now, to be fair, that soundbite is dated, but the Clinton campaign is accepting money from Soros this year, as stated, and that may present a problem for the secretary. I want to jump ahead a little bit because there's a lot. Uh, nah, nah, you know what? I can't. I just I just can't. I can't. I just can't stand him. I'm sorry. It's just he just seems so. He just he rubs me the wrong way, I guess I'll say. I am. I do respect him for covering it. He did take the Israel bent, which I think is the least interesting out of all of the Soros links. Leaks. I think what's probably more interesting is his connections to Black Lives Matters and also his manipulations in the European elections. But that's just my opinion. Let's go get our toes wet with a little Trump news. You remember uh, Trump saying that Obama was the founder of ISIS? Um, well, it depends on which lens in which you look at that. He could potentially be correct. That's not me saying that. That's your buddy, your good friend. Here. It's hard to imagine that Donald Trump is consciously creating an alternate history in which President Obama held some kind of formal meeting and said, we're creating a terror group called ISIS. Trump is probably referencing a somewhat mainstream Republican argument about the Obama administration's culpability in the rise of ISIS. One can make a reasonable argument along those lines. And in fact, this morning, General Michael Hayden, the former deputy national intelligence director, the head of the CIA under George W. Bush, he responded to Trump's comments by doing just that. Choosing those words corrupts the dialogue, uh, corrupts what should be a, a very serious dialogue. W- w- look, Willie's right. I mean, the actions of the Obama administration in withdrawing from Iraq, going to zero, and we've talked about this on previous shows, actually set the conditions for the recovery of al-Qaeda in Iraq, which then became which then became ISIS. So there's a very powerful case to be made. But, but when Mr. Trump uses this language to make that case, two or three things happen. Uh, number one, he, he inflames the debate, and we don't need the flame. We need cold, rational discussion. I just can't. Here's what I think. Was it the withdrawal from Iraq? That's what the media would have you believe this cycle. I think it's extremely, extremely, extremely convenient to have a direct link between Al-Qaeda and ISIS. That convenience is simply, it comes down to the predication for which all of our anti-terrorism military action is based. The authorization for military force against Al-Qaeda and those connected to the 9-11 attacks is the fundamental piece of legalese that all of the war on terror is hinged on. Our actions in Libya, in Yemen, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Turkey, and that's just, that's just six off the top of my head. All of it, all of it is authorized by a piece of law or legal interpretation that authorizes going after Al-Qaeda and Al-Qaeda-related affiliates. And so if we have a direct line between ISIS and Al-Qaeda, 
we then have a direct legal clarity line between going after Al-Qaeda for the 9-11 attacks and everything else we're doing. So that's a, so when they accuse Trump of simple, sim, simple, um, simplification of the situation, they are also just as guilty of that. They are also simplifying the situation to make it more legally clear that they're in the they're in the okay. Bear that in mind when you hear this. Insults his audience. He, he goes to these code words to make a fairly valid point. And, and why does he do that? Does he not think that his audience could not accept the slightly more complex, the slightly more reasoned message that this president made serious mistakes that led to the creation right. of ISIS? Why does he put it this way? Yeah, that's a good take. That's a good attempt. It's a good attempt. I don't think it's going to hold water. Founder of ISIS, that holds water. Everybody, that's how we go. Uh, that's how we roll. I, 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 I will, I will uh, hold, hold, hold on, guys. Come on, I, the, uh, the, the, there's just. Uh, I, I just can't. I just can't. Fuck the EU. Fuck the EU. So that would be great. I, so that would be great. I, so that would be great. I. Help glue this thing. Fuck the EU. I just can't. No, 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 and this is Trump's evolving position on ISIS. And what I what I have been really fascinated by recently, just this week in particular, actually, is CNN's going back to the old Trump clips and and recutting old Trump to contradict current Trump. Now, this is something that's been happening since Trump entered the election, but CNN is doing it as a matter of course per Trump clip now. It's like they go to the well every time. How does the United States get out of this situation? Is there a, how do they is get there a way out? out? You know how they get out? They get out. That's how they get out. Declare victory and leave. So that is uh, Donald Trump in March 16th, 2007, being interviewed by Wolf Blitzer, who looks exactly, exactly the same as he does now. Damn that wolf. Declare victory and leave. Donald Trump on CNN in 2007 said the U.S. should leave Iraq. This is their new attempt, by the way, to appeal to uh, millennials. The millenniums like uh, music and bold text. And so the CNN wants to appeal to the millenniums. They're in a civil war over there, Wolf. There's nothing that we're going to be able to do with a civil war. We're keeping the lid on a little bit. But the day we leave anyway, it's all going to blow up. A point he reiterated again in 2011, also again on CNN. So they're saying, look, we got him in 07, we got him in 2011, we got this music. If you were president, would you take all American troops out of Afghanistan? And- Your buddy, remember <laughs> remember Pierce? We haven't covered Pierce in a while. So here he is in February 9th, 2011, asking the Trump if he would, you know, 
happened to be president, would he take troops out? Iraq now? Well, Straight Iraq, away. we shouldn't have been there, and I get him out real fast. Later in 2011, President Obama did pull out combat troops out of Iraq, and ISIS then formed in Iraq and Syria in the following years. Now, this is CNN. This isn't Fox News. This is CNN just stating it with bold, all-caps text and hipster music telling you that ISIS was formed in Iraq and Syria in the, in the following years after we pulled out. That's just them just stating it as if it's fact. Now, what's incredible about this is if you were to travel to the Middle East and you were to end up in Syria or Iraq, the word ISIS is not used there. There's nothing called ISIS there. They don't call it ISIS. So this entire thing is, it is newspeak at the very beginning. It's, and this is, this is retrograde history uh, retconning. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's got music, though. Now Trump says Obama's withdrawal from Iraq constitutes a failure so great that he's the founder of ISIS. So they're going after him for that founder of ISIS thing. With music. ISIS is honoring President Obama. What? He is the founder of ISIS. Uh The founder of ISIS. And the next day, he doubled down. I call President Obama and Hillary Clinton the founders of ISIS. They're the founders. I I do, too. (laughs) You said the president was the founder of ISIS. I know what you meant. You meant that he created the vacuum. He lost the peace. No, I meant he's the founder of ISIS. I do. He's the most valuable player. I give him the most valuable player award. That's great. The MVP award. So I said the founder of ISIS. Yeah, you did. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. Then, then, but not that sarcastic, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) Ah, There you go. That's CNN having a little fun for the uh, millenniums. Are you a millennium? CNN wants you to watch their YouTube channel. Well, with the two major party standard bearers consistently getting the highest unfavorable ratings in modern American politics, more voters are giving third party candidates a look, including libertarian presidential nominee Gary Johnson. Johnson was twice elected governor of New Mexico, serving from 1995 to 2003. He ran for president in 2012 as a Republican on a libertarian platform. And this year, his running mate is William Weld. He's the former two-term Republican governor of Massachusetts. Governor Johnson has raised nearly $3 million in the first two weeks of this month. As for polling, he's currently in third place at 8.5% on the Real Clear Politics average. He'll need to get that number to 15% to qualify for the first presidential debate next month. So all the more reason to talk to him now. Governor Gary Johnson, Libertarian presidential nominee, is our guest. Governor, it's nice to have you on the program. Uh, great to be on, Jenna. And we, we're, you know, we're giving ourselves uh, better than a 50% chance to get to that 15%, uh, the number having doubled uh, really in the last six weeks. And the five polls that the Presidential Debate Commission says that they're going to use uh, right now, our consensus in those five polls is right around 10. Wow. So, OMG, OMG, OMG. I, I don't want to say I'm getting excited, but a third-party candidate not only would make incredible show content, but would actually restore my faith in humanity a little bit. Hashtag just saying. So, Turkey's a bit of an issue right now. We got a problem over there. And when you got a big problem like Turkey, there's only one solution. You got to send Joe. 
Vice President Joe Biden will take the next big diplomatic trip for the United States. On August 24th, Biden will travel to Turkey in an effort to restore relations between the two countries. Recent tensions between the countries have seen a sharp decline in cooperation. Alexei Yaroshavsky has the story tonight on the love-hate relationship between America and Turkey. America's largest nuclear warhead stockpile in Europe, 50 thermonuclear bombs stored at the Injur League base in Turkey may be under threat. That's according Huge. to Washington-based nonpartisan think tank Stimson Center, which today questioned in a report the ability of the United States to maintain control over nukes in case of a civil conflict in Turkey. Something, as we have recently seen, cannot be discounted when it comes to this country. Just recently it went through a failed coup attempt. During which, and that's where the concerns are stemming from, the Injilix-based Turkish commander was arrested for allegedly plotting the coup. A legitimate concern, right? After all, we're talking about a lot of nukes put there at the height of the Cold War as a deterrent to the Soviet Union's nuclear capabilities. And apparently it does not matter anymore that the Cold War is believed to be over and that the base is located less than 100 miles from the border with war-torn Syria. Or does it? With mounting concerns about the base's future and debate in the United States that those nukes should be relocated from Turkey, Vice President Joe Biden will fly to Ankara, seen by many pundits as a last-ditch attempt to fix the broken ties. And there is a lot to fix. It went from the all-round praise from Obama to Erdogan when the former came to power eight, and eight years later, the U.S. president is believed to be very unhappy with his Turkish counterpart. In April, Obama did not hold a formal reception for Erdogan in Washington, D.C. during the nuclear summit, but probably the lowest point was observed recently when Erdogan flew in for Muhammad Ali's funeral, planned a speech there, but was denied the opportunity to do so. Eventually, he cut his visit short and not attended the funeral at all. Oh, oh, a little background there. Oh, oh, that puts the whole recent coup in a little more context, doesn't it? Yeah. Welcome back to RT America. Thanks. Checking in with some domestic headlines now. Okay. 15 Guantanamo detainees were released over the weekend marking the largest single transfer under the Obama administration. In an official announcement yesterday, the Pentagon said the prisoners were sent to the United Arab Emirates. Oh. The move comes as President Obama Yikes. continues to struggle to deliver on his promise of closing the island prison marred by human rights violations. Hey, 15-something, though. But to the United Emirates... Well, I don't want to... I don't, I don't mean to cast aspirations, but... Ugh. For more on the situation in Syria... And Ah, uh, you know what? I'm done with that, actually. I'm done with that. Mr. Chase is near. We gotta speed things up a little bit. Let's, you know what? Let's take a little, let's take a little break. A little change of pace. The Rio Olympic diving green pool scandal. The water turned green. Now you guys know why, right? You know why. Chatroom, do you know why? Anybody? Anybody in the chatroom? chat room you tell me why did the olympic pools turn green so uh <laughs> no it is not because of jesus water it is not jesus water they mysteriously turned green and there was a lot of speculation as to what happened wwnsx suggests because they didn't balance the phs PH, I mean. Sweet Loose is green paint. Good one. 
Uh, Phelps farts, says producer Matt. <laughs> no, no, it actually turns out to be something very simple. Yeah, actually, it was just simply they put in a chemical that counteracted the chlorine, and so algae and other and other and gross stuff was able to grow, and uh, it turned the pool green. Hmm, yuck, actually. And, you know, some of them said that their eyes were burning. Ugh, so gross, so gross. It's not the kind of green I like to think about. When I like to think about green, I like to think about an entirely different kind of green. That was my, that was my joke, you get it? You get it? Oh, you don't get it. Oh, that's because I haven't played the clip yet. Welcome back to the big picture. Marijuana legalization will be on the ballot in at least six states this November. Recreational marijuana is on the ballot in <laughs> California, Maine, and Nevada. You thought I meant money. <laughs> and Arkansas and Florida both have initiatives that would legalize medical marijuana. If medical marijuana passes in both those states, it will mean that 27 states and the District of Columbia have legalized marijuana for medical use. And yet, earlier today, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, declared that it would not be rescheduling marijuana and that it still considers pot a highly addictive drug that has no medicinal value on par with heroin, LSD, and MDMA. So why is the DEA still promoting reefer madness era talking points about pot? Let's ask Sam Sachs, writer and co-founder of the District Sentinel and author of the recent article, Feds Resist calls to classify or reclassify marijuana. It's still on par with heroin. Welcome back, Sam. Hey, Tom. Thanks. So tell me about this. What is, what is the deal here? Well, the DEA uh, appears to still be operating in another planet where marijuana is as dangerous as heroin. Um, they were petitioned to reclassify marijuana from it's currently a Schedule One drug, considered the most dangerous drugs that have uh, little to no medicinal value. It's up there with heroin and LSD and ecstasy. Uh, the DEA was peti- petitioned to remove that to a Schedule II drug uh, so that it would be easier to do sort of medical tests and research on the drug. Schedule II drugs are considered to have some medical benefit but are dangerous. Things like cocaine are considered a Schedule II drug. Right. Uh, the DEA ruled today that no, they're going to keep it as a Schedule I drug. And it follows the Health and Human Services, Department of Health and Human Services analysis on marijuana that found that the drug uh, is still uh, uh, could be abused. Uh, is, uh, has no uh, medicinal value, and even performing s- tests on it would be unsafe, even in a controlled uh, medical environment, which um, is just patently absurd, considering that we have half the country right now that has legalized marijuana for medicinal benefits. People are taking it right now and reporting right. that it is helping them with a wide variety of uh, diseases, from even uh, uh, pain, from having people have cancer, uh, people with eye problems, uh, you name it. There's and, good research that it actually is effective against dementia and Alzheimer's. Right. Oh, well, let's make that a Schedule One then. So CBS had an interesting interview that kind of went a direction I didn't expect while, you know, while we're on the cannabis train after all. CBS has been having some problems this morning. Uh, This isn't me not playing the clip. This is just the clip not having any audio. CBS Network had some problems with that this, this week. 
This week, the DEA dashed the hopes of marijuana legalization advocates when it chose to keep pot on its list of most dangerous drugs. So marijuana remains classified with highly addictive drugs like heroin and cocaine, even though more and more states and cities are legalizing or decriminalizing pot use. But few Americans recognize there's a significant downside to the pot legalization movement. It's addressed in an article in this month's Esquire magazine titled Horse of the Apocalypse. The author is Don Winslow, who has written about the drug trade for decades, and he is here now to tell us more. Good morning. Good morning. I have to tell you, this is such a well-written article. It's so easy to understand. Well, thank you very much. Great editors and... Yeah. Well, given your background, also, it's easy to understand why. Uh, I'm trying to set something up here, and you just totally screwed it up. <laughs> You're so well-versed in all of this. Start off with the thesis. I mean, how do you link the legalization to the heroin epidemic? You know, first of all, can I, can I... You know what I love about that moment right there is that is... And she does this. She's the worst at this on CBS, and she's not normally one of the uh, morning hosts. She framed and set up this guest in a way to go after cannabis in a very aggressive anti-legalization Right off the right off the bat, that question was pitched to just attack cannabis legalization. And, you know, what better time than now when the DEA has made this decision? And and this guest, although it does it does eventually take a twist here, but this guest starts off extremely strong. I addressed the DEA's issue yesterday. You know, this is very good news for the Mexican drug cartels. Because the Mexican drug cartels make their billions of dollars by selling Schedule One drugs. So by keeping it illegal, keeping it felonious, keeping it all that, you raise the price of marijuana and you create billions of dollars uh, for psychopathic killers. So it's a bad decision. To answer the question... Oh, 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 was that not what you wanted to hear, CBS? You asked me, though. The thesis is that when two states and then a third legalized marijuana, marijuana imports from the Mexican drug cartels dropped by almost 38%. And those are the DEA numbers, not mine. They lost millions of dollars. So they looked around to replace that income. Now what are we going to do? They found a ready-made marketplace with opioids. Big American pharmaceutical companies had created a whole population of addicts. So let's be clear here. If you want to look into the heroin trade, there are some very interesting rabbit holes you can go down to. Wh- who, is supplying the, who is supplying the opium? How is that being protected? And where is that being furnished from? Why is there so many people that are p- particularly addicted to opioids? And why is that not being talked about? These are rabbit holes, let me tell you, my friends, you could literally dedicate your lives to. That we're paying $30, basically a dose for these drugs. So the Sinaloa cartel, Chapo Guzman's outfit and others said, gosh, if we increase production and increase potency, we can get into that market, undercut the American pharmaceutical companies and sell this product at $10 a dose. So instead of growing marijuana in fields, what they've done is they've built plants where they can uh, produce this heroin laced with fentanyl. This is incredible. So immediately pivoting the conversation. So instead of instead of growing weed, they're doing this is this is some kind of mainstream media magic trick. So instead of growing marijuana in fields, what they've done is they've built plants where they can uh, produce this heroin laced with fentanyl. Exactly. Exactly. That's what happened, because the profits are immense. If you take a kilo of basic heroin, you can make about, let's say, two hundred and seventeen thousand dollars of profit on that kilo here in New York City. Fentanyl, you make a million three. And you don't need these massive fields. You don't need, need all this infrastructure that you need with, with heroin. It can be made, in, you know, as you said, in, in a lab. So it's a much easier product to ship. 
it's a much more profitable product. These drugs have... It's an interesting piece. Hello, Mr. Chase. Hey. Hello, hello. Hey, I, I saved something for you. For me? Yeah, I thought as we got out of the overtime, we should take a moment and, and, and truly give the audience a actual unfiltered experience of the news. You know, we've been doing this for 200 weeks, and what we've never actually done is shared with them what it's actually like to parse through the news and go through all of it. And if you think about it, with the Olympics and all of the Trump white noise, there must be a lot, right? Oh, there is, yeah. So I want to just I just want to take a moment, okay. and uh, there's a lot of things we could be covering this week. You know, there's the Soros leaks, of course. Right. Uh, you've got, uh, of course, more stuff on the DNC. Apparently, yes. the NSA has been hacked. These are all Correct. things that the mainstream media could be dedicating all of their resources, all of their money, all of yes. their personnel to. Yes. But instead, they talk about things like a dog who had his wheelchair stolen. We have straps for him, but he's heavy and it hurts him. So this works the best. When Charlie wants out, this is how Rod and Leona have to do it. National news, Chase. National news. Okay, here's, a, here's another little Well, they pulled that from a local affiliate, yeah. to oh, be yeah. fair, Oh, yeah. Though. Oh, yeah. Right. But it's, pl- yeah, all, yeah, a lot of these come from national affiliates. Oh, yes. for sure. Yeah. Here's another one, speaking uh, of well, national. A Woodenville neighborhood affiliate. got a real surprise visit this morning. Take a look. This hot air balloon landed right in the middle of the road. <laughs> right in the middle of the road, Chase. Oh, my gosh. What a zinger. Across the nation, police are investigating two apparent road rage incidents, both of them involving guns. <gasps> a woman waving a firearm around in one... A road rage incident! National news, everybody! It turns out your dad wasn't just making up the theory of old man strength. According to a new study by the Journal of Hand Therapy, uh-huh. first reported by the Washington Post, millennial men are significantly weaker than their dads. Oh, okay, alright, good, good to know, good to know. Moving on to the shit that we had to sift through in order to do this week's... This is just a small sampling here. There are hugs where you just throw up your arms and go for it. Uh-huh. And then there are hugs that keep going and going and going. Get ready for this one. Joe Biden wouldn't let Hillary go as they met on the tarmac at Scranton Airport. <laughs> About four seconds into the hug, they semi-disengage. Nothing to see here, right? Wrong, because the vice president wouldn't unhand Hillary for almost 16 seconds. Notice how many times she tries to tap out. She lets it go. He does not. Uh, she tap out. Nope. She's just awkward. Uh, nope, he's still holding on. Okay. Second tap out. For God's sake, Joe, you gotta let go. <laughs> <laughs> awkward hug would not have been micro Love you, go, Joe. Let me go. Overly handy Biden moments. Critical Actually, Chris, I have to disagree with you on this clip. You I'm like sorry. This, this, like is this, good, this is a good. This is good. This is fun. This is a good one. I know. I, I'm sneaky. Check it out. This gets weird. Um, Times when he gently rearranges a young girl's hair and whispers in her ear, then rearranges some more. Yep. There's nothing pervy. Look how he grabs her arm, too. Like, I don't even do that to my own daughters. Here, the VP knows. You see how he's nosing her side, too? And she's a little creeped out. Look at her face, Chase. Right. And look at the mom. The mom's like, what are you doing? Right? The mom's watching. And the dad, the dad totally has the, I can't do anything about this. I'm totally powerless in this moment. But yet it's awkward for me face. Pervy here. The VP knows he's. See that smile? Do you see that right. smile? Yes. <laughs> and look at 
the mom. The mom is locking eyes on him like a like a predator that's like a mom that's defending a predator. There's nothing pervy here. The VP knows he's on camera. He nuzzles her head with his nose. That is pervy. It's like a kitten. There's nothing pervy here. The VP knows he's on camera at these swearing-in ceremonies, and the parents are right. Look at the girl's face. That tells you everything you need right. to know. It was too much. Yeah. But this... What is he doing? Not even the worst. You know what's crazy about this moment? What? I watched this live on C-SPAN when this happened. Oh, really? You yeah. were watching live? Yeah, I did. I did. I remember this moment. Oh. I remember there, as he leans in for a kiss. <laughs> and then he tries to kiss her, and she pulls away. Oh. Isn't that weird? There, as he leans in for a kiss. <laughs> she is super uncomfortable. <laughs> but I can't figure it out, because he knows we're yeah. watching. The VP is known as a close talker. He even does it to the president. <laughs> This is a big fucking deal, he says to Obama right there with an open mic. And look at Obama. He's like, God damn it, you old man. The Joe, mic's on. Joe, Joe, you've drank too much, Joe. Stop it, Joe. Joe. <laughs> you see, do you see Obama? Like, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> Perhaps his most famous hands-on moment came when he put his hands on the wife of Defense Secretary Ash Carter. Got a lot of things. Again, he's sniffing and kissing. Do you see this? Yeah, look at him. He's like going to wrap his arms he's around her. He's like full on sniffing and kissing, dude. He's like, dude. how you doing? Like, yeah. I wouldn't even do this to like, uh, yeah. I can't even think of, all the, other than my significant other, That's the, I would never do this. And he's doing it on camera. To give out. Here. Conservative. And then he starts rubbing her arms. It's okay. This is the yeah. creepiest thing. And so did some liberals. <laughs> no, that ain't right, man. That ain't right. Why are you appeared to smell her hair? At least the VP didn't get that close to Hillary. Now, Hillary and President Obama have come a long way in their history of hugging. From this paltry excuse for a hug eight years ago after he defeated her, to this. A hug so close that Hillary closed her eyes. They even gazed into each other's eyes. This was a hug so novel for these two, it looked like the cover of a romance novel. You know what's weird is I do watch Hillary's hugs. Dude, you are a sick man. I watch the way she hugs. You sick, sick man. I watch the way she hugs Elizabeth Warren. I watch the way she hugs Bill Clinton. And I watch the way she hugs President Obama. Yeah. And... It appears to be the more powerful the person is, the, the more sincere her hug is. Like, look at, watch these two look into each other's eyes, and he even says, I'm proud of you to her. Watch, it's just, it's, it's, I, to me, Chase, it's a really, it's a weird thing. I'm proud that you stuck with it. I'm really proud. Yeah, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. It looked like the cover of a romance novel. Ginny Mo, CNN, New York. Did you see it? Did you see that? I'm proud of you. No, yeah. And look at her, look at her gazing at his eyes there. Looked like the cover of a romance novel. Genie CNN, New York. <laughs> it's weird, man. It's weird. And on that note, make sure you hug your loved ones yeah. very closely and yeah. sniff their hair. True. And you can always give us a hug at patreon.com slash unfilter. 200 weeks, buddy. That's it? That's it. That's all. That's nothing. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll talk to you guys again at 300. Maybe that'll be something. Woo-hoo! All right. Thanks for being here. We'll Let's see you right party! Back. Thank you, patrons. Smoke them if you got them. That's how we go. That's how we roll.